Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe podcast. Talking Joe's there. Talking Joe thought we would last. Talking Joe is there. Find each other like a married couple. A podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the codename for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. We are on our soapbox. Nobody seems to care. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble. The podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated comics podcast that comes out on a Thursday. This is part eight of our looks at the G.I. Joe disavowed era. Today we are discussing issues 17 to 19, which is a three-parter called The Cabal, which was from 2003. If you're new to the show, you can find out all the details over on our website, talkingjoe.co.uk. And uh, without any further ado... Let's introduce the co-hosts. It is first up, American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hi, Mark, and hello, listeners. In that order, thank you, Tim. <laughs> and uh, rounding out our crew, it's GIJ, Jay Cordray. Hello, G.I. Joe fans. Silence. Rude, rude. <laughs> and Mark and Tim. Nothing. You're getting nothing used, back. I'm used to that. <laughs> uh, so what to talk about this week? Uh, G.I.J. is killing it on the uh, YouTube videos. Um, uh, loving the Yojo Cola ranking uh, sort of section that, that you put in there. We've got a little tidy Yojo Cola can, our little mm-hmm. faces and our, our comments. Love it. So, uh, yeah, if you're an audio only person there, we are putting out... Uh, the YouTube videos at the same time, maybe slightly later than the audio episode. Um, so uh, there is another viewing option and we're you know, presenting lots of the um, visual content that we are talking about on the, on the screen as well. So uh, yeah, an interesting, particularly if you're, if you're not necessarily aware of all of the references, some uh, yeah, good illumination uh, going, uh, going on there. Um, so what's new Jay oh I don't know not a whole lot uh, like we were talking about got some new books in this week uh, just been trying to get back into the swing of things with uh, break room sketches did a couple new sketches uh, you know the last couple of weeks that were really well received by people so that's encouraging um, Very good. you know hoping for some warmer weather this side of the pond and, uh, <laughs> and this side <laughs> yeah so, uh, you yeah. know, the, the world's moving along. Yeah. Got is. my yeah. silent interlude hardcover from, uh, I think it's called Original Comics. It's a French edition, which is fine since it's no words. 
Uh, and that's really nice to see that original artwork by Larry and uh, Steve Lealoa. Uh, really nice, um, really nice package. Was really happy to, to finally get that in black and white. Did, did you pick that up, Tim? Uh, not the French edition. I have the the IDW hardcover from five years ago. Mm-hmm. Jay, is that a just a, re, a representation of the IDW hardcover? No, it's uh, it's entirely black and white. Uh, Mark and I talked about this before the show started because um, he got it as well. Uh, it's interesting. It does not include the original cover, any version of that. And I said, well, maybe that was because... Larry had nothing to do with that. I don't know whether he, I don't think that he even did layouts or anything for that. So it's, it's really sparse as far as, uh, there's not really any extra content or anything in the book. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, you know, you open it, uh, there's your legal page, which is all in French. And then there's the black and white story. Um, and that's it. So it's yep. really all you get, but it's really neat to see that artwork in black and white. And it's, it's, I mean, the printing is really good, you know, like, like I said, I've seen the pencils for it, but I don't think that I ever have seen the black and white inked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and this artwork. isn't this isn't like an artist edition. It's not the no. art boards. It is, it is you know from the the black and white film or whatever it is that they they've taken. So it is the identical artwork that is in that more recent that that recent IDW edition, but just uh, in uh, mono in the black yeah. and white black and white lines and um, at a slightly higher. Um, a slightly larger size so probably close to english a4 size i think real thick paper stock on that too i was kind of surprised i wonder if idw might publish something like this uh in a few months when that movie when that when that snake eyes movie is out because certainly idw will already now will have the excuse and i mean that in a good way to Mm -hmm. reprint some key snake eyes material and then also on its own or with hasro's nudging will uh publish some new snake eyes material i bet we'll have a you know snake eyes miniseries next year that's not related that's not in the movie continuity i bet there'll be something self-contained or something uh in the real american hero continuity Mm. they put out a paperback when when the last movie came out they they um, or the last two movies, they sort of produced a number of things that were tie-ins, including a Snake Eyes series that was credited as co-written, I think, by Ray mm-hmm. Park, uh, who played Snake Eyes in uh, in the films, which was yeah. And I think I think IDW had a lot of success with its Transformers live-action movie adaptations, prequels, and sort of in-between uh, sequels. And I think I think there are between the first two movies i think they're uh five or six different miniseries and if you if you really like those movies those comics are very exciting and i got the sense at the time that those those the graphic novels of those comics were selling well in like airport bookstores and some regular bookstores that aren't comic bookstores i have a guess just a guess that the the rise of cobra and retaliation tie-in G.I. Joe comic miniseries uh, didn't sell as well. Mm -hmm. Some of those were nice. I remember, um, I'm not sure if it was the ones that came out for Rise of Cobra, but they had artwork by S.L. Glant that was uh, looked very different than what he ended up doing when he was on A Real American Hero. It was more of a a scratchy kind of style, but Mm -hmm. still very good. That was the first thing that I had seen by him that, you know, at all. And it really impressed me how, uh, you know, his artwork. Yeah. I suspect that they might have been working off of his pencils rather than. Uh, oh, really? Properly. It could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in the UK, we got a, um, a GI Joe 
uh, series from Panini, I think, believe published it, um, which was yeah all all new content uh, and not published over in the the US, mm. which included strips from John Royal on covers and interiors and Kev Hopgood, um, yeah. who had previously done some Action Force work, he returned and possibly Mike Collins as well. So yeah, that content is is all over on the Blood for Baron website if you want to check it out. But yeah, quite an interesting uh, curiosity, particularly on uh, seeing the John Royal art, as given um, how his uh, his career progressed to become the you know the GI Joe cover artist that that uh, he is now. Well, several years ago, whenever IDW had got the GI Joe license, they put out um, a series of paperbacks called the Best of, and one of them mm-hmm. was the Best of Snake Eyes, and it had uh, issue twenty one, twenty six, twenty seven. Uh, I'm not sure what else. I know that it had uh, like 144, I think. And um, but the big ones, I mean, for me were oh, and number 10, maybe that was it. But uh, you know, the big ones that I I liked being in there were, of course, were 21, 26, and 27. And I always thought mm-hmm. that they should do like a, a Snake Eyes package, and hopefully they will now. That kind of has all the highlights and includes those issues. They could leave that 144 out or whatever it was. Yeah, well, IDW did just reprint issue 21, and it has reprinted uh, Snake Eyes Origins as well. I believe, I, I'm guessing that was both issues. What Mark's referring to is these double-sized uh, two-issue comic reprints that IDW's been doing. A couple weeks ago, they reprinted 49 and 50. Serpentor Uncoiled. Yeah, and then two months ago, it was yearbook one. So that this this seems to be a you know they're, they're doing several you know the twenty six and twenty seven uh, twenty one plus was twenty one B I imagine we'll get a few more of those I, I actually mm-hmm. wonder though um, how much IDW might push reprinting Real American Hero Snake Eyes material when the movie comes out uh, given that the movie is a very different take on the character mm. you know and I, it's people un- people understand you know like there's an entire Spider Man movie now about all the different versions of Spider-Man. So I think people understand, uh, but I can also imagine an editor making a decision yeah. uh, to push a little bit harder on either some sort of neutral uh, Snake Eyes stories from some of the other continuities that have been published in comics or uh, some more new material where maybe it's technically the real American hero version, but he's not specifically taking his mask off showing that he's a blonde white guy and, you know, someone's specifically not talking about the Southeast Asian conflict. I'm surprised we haven't seen any solicitations for uh, movie tie-ins. I think they're waiting because the movie Until it actually comes out? The movie keeps, yeah, the movie movie keeps delaying. Also, I think it's possible that they're not going to do anything. Yeah, I think it was a while. What was one of the movies came out not too long ago? Oh, I know what it was that I'm thinking of. Um, And it's not IDW, it was Marvel. With, uh, you know, back when we were kids, sometimes you would see the movie adaptations on the shelves before the movie itself came out. Mm. But like with the last Star Wars movie, um, what was it called? Part nine garbage, something like that. <laughs> um, they didn't do a miniseries release of that until months after the movie had been out. And I thought that was a surprise. I was like, why are they doing an adaptation now? But, you know, it helps keep spoilers down. The very first Star Wars film was uh, was came out before the film itself and was kind of used as a bit of a promotional tool yeah. for the for the film. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> All right, let's get to it, boys. 
We're gonna talk about comics from Devil's Jew. It's something you wanted if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh. So we are looking at uh, Devil's Due 17 to 19, The Cabal. Uh, creative team, story, Josh Blaylock, pencils, Brandon Bado, uh, inks, John Larter's uh, Swan Song. Uh, last few issues from from him. Uh, Rick Ketchum and Andrew Pepoy. Colours, hi-fi, colour designs. Yeah, anonymous drones being used there <laughs> again. Uh, letters, dreamers, designs, copy edits, Scott World, graphic design, Mike Norton. Military consultation, Tim Everett and Tillman Goines. I think we're on to the uh, third or fourth military consultant here. And translations, Lenka Goines. So um, I'm guessing some sort of relation to Tillman helping out with uh, some of the Russian and uh, Czechoslovakian or, or whatnot that appears in this arc. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So uh, we've got 17, 18, 19. Uh, 17 is Kieran Grant, Corey Hampshire. 18, Dan Barretton. And 19, I think, is uh, Tim Seeley. Is that right? Tim Seeley, colored by Hi-Fi, uh, d- direct from the, the pencils. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one here by uh, Kieran Grant, Cora, Corey Hampshire, is uh, Flint and Baroness back to back with uh, lots of guns from the mafia types uh, being uh, pointed at them. Let's go over to you, Tim, first for your hot take on this one. I kind of like this cover, you know, it's, it's drawn in the like hot comics house style of 2003, you know, like post post Jim Lee. Uh, I'm immediately worried about the two characters, right? But I'm also wondering why uh, a hero and a villain are sort of either teaming up or both in trouble at the same time. What I what I what I what's distracting about the cover is uh, Professor Charles Xavier, who's holding one of these guns <laughs> and standing uh, just behind Flint. And uh, I apologize to everyone who now will never be able to look at this cover and not see Professor X. But the problem with um, if you're going to have a bunch of anonymous people surrounding our two heroes, they all have to be anonymous. So either. This character should have been in shadow or should have had a hood or uh, there should have been th- two more like specific people who are kind of like nobodies, like bad guy thugs. And, you know, one could have a, a curly hair and one could have a, a mustache and and you, you wouldn't draw attention to them. But this is a white guy, a bald white guy, and not every bald white guy in comics looks like Xavier, but like... Jim Lee started drawing Professor Xavier with very particular pointy, I don't mean like Namor, I mean like at the end of his eyebrows, pointy eyebrows. And that's what this drawing is. So it inadvertently draws a lot of attention to itself. I still still like the cover, but it's got a problem. You would think if they were going to single out any character uh, to fill that role, it would have been the, what's his name, Moskin, the 
the guy that comes in first and, and, and interrogates him. Uh, but yeah, you wouldn't just throw this guy on here. I mean, like you said, it's Professor Xavier, and you're thinking, why is he using a gun? Just blast him with his, you know, psionics. I know. This feels like uh, we've talked about recent issues of A Real American Hero, where the cover is drawn well in advance of the story being written. Uh, and this feels like that. You know, like, I feel like the direction for this cover is Kieran Grant. Uh, we know the story is going to have Flint and uh, Baroness in trouble, c- captured. Draw them captured. It's like, oh, who? Uh, sort of anybody, nobody. Like, that's not what was said necessarily, but I'm, I'm guessing that's what was said. Yeah, gangster types or, yeah. As for the cover to 18, such a thrill to see, one, Dan Brereton creating artwork for G.I. Joe because um, his 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 style like how he actually draws and paints faces and shadows his there's a little weirdness to his uh faces and his shapes that i love uh and it, it's it's really fitting that he draws a lot of monsters in his own creator own stuff and he's like very much a horror guy when you need him to draw uh, paint batman or you know blade or someone so it's a thrill to see him here it's a thrill to have a painted gi joe cover it's it's really different to have a portrait of a joe right we have a head and shoulders close-up of uh the baroness and then destro gets thrown in there for good measure uh i'm a little unsure on who it is in the background these three characters i think that's um, meant to be the october guard isn't it okay yeah so i feel like they've got a giant red circle behind them which is just a like pretty and nice compositional element. But what if that was uh, like the Russian flag or the Soviet flag, right? Then I would immediately say, oh, those three people are Russian. Uh, Stick or a hammer, if, hammer and sickle in there or something. Yeah, or if they could, you know, be a little closer. Jay, do you have thoughts on the cover to 18? I really like Brereton's artwork. Um, yeah, it was interesting to see him do a G.I. Joe cover. What I thought, another thing that I thought was interesting was the fact that all three of these covers are by different people. Yes. But yeah, eight, 18 is really good. I like that. I like the Baroness, you know, and I always like his artwork. It's it's almost um, like uh, the Hildebrandt brothers with the color palette that he uses. Um, Except the Hildebrandts don't use black. And oh, Brereton, Brereton uses so much. I, I, I see what you mean. I think yeah. their, their treatment of light is very similar. Yeah. And a um, lot of kind of blockiness to it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I like it. I, I, like you said, it's it's always nice to see his artwork on something other than his own creator, uh, creator own stuff. Um, the Baroness looks cool. Her eyes, maybe like the one that's closest to us, seems like it's I don't know, almost Asian, which shouldn't be. But you know, in a way, I think that maybe that's just kind of his style sometimes. And then Destro and and uh, October Guard back there celebrating New Year's. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I also appreciate that Destro's uh, not wearing a an over-designed, over-detailed costume. Well, it's interesting in in this series how, you know, during the reinstated arc, we all talked about how his uh, costume was originally over-designed. And then as soon as the original Destro came back, he switched back to his old one, which I liked. And then, you know, again, in this arc, we do see the return of Alexander in his Destro Jr. costume. I don't know which I mean, we'll get to that when we get to it. But yeah, I, I like the uh, I like Destro and his classic look better. The cover for 19 
I like the idea of this, yeah. right? And again, now we have not only covers by three different artists, which is not ever what I would do for a three-part story, but either because, you know, like the first artist couldn't commit to two more covers or, you know, like Brereton said, like... I would, I've I only wouldn't got... do it unless they were super, super star artists, you know, and, and really, really fantastic covers. Mm, mm-hmm. Other than the Brereton one, I don't think that either of these other two covers are strong enough to... To really warrant that the the sentence description of 19 flint and baroness uh, embracing in a kiss but there's also a sense of danger because they're holding weapons and there's also a sense that they've been through something because their clothes are a bit torn i like that and i remember i saw this cover when i was paying attention to this series but no longer reading it and i thought oh like uh flirting or actual romance between a joe and a cobra this is only ever sort of happened one and a half times in all of G.I. Joe. It's not enough to get me back, but interesting. <laughs> but I don't actually like this cover. Uh, and the problem is uh, you need a very particular color artist to take pencils only and digitally paint it and turn it into something substantial. And there's there's way too much rendering going on here, right? Like if you look at their flesh, they look like they look like shiny corpses. And um, and there's not enough penciling here. Like, this needs thicker outlines. This really needed to be inked. And the, the sort of parallel here is what uh, Liquid, the coloring studio, which I think is Christian Lichner's, uh, all the color work that Liquid did over Salvador La Roca on Extreme X-Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brightest brights are way too shiny and bright. And La Roca's artwork for that series was colored straight from the pencils and it's it's interesting it does not work the like it doesn't have heft and and this cover just sort of like blows away in the wind for me it's not substantial yeah i mean because what's interesting about tim seeley's style is it's quite a simplistic and that's not meant to be derogatory but but a, a sort of a simple clean open style and and you know we've got a lot of detail here in the colors and the rendering so clearly the colorist is doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the amount of time they're they're spending on it they're not just you know here's uh here's baroness's hair that's black drag and drop the black color you know paint can fill it in it is kind of you know rendering a lot of um uh extra detail into into that in the way that it's being it's being drawn out in the in the colors and uh yeah it's a little bit shame really that um it's just credited to hi-fi because hi-fi is just a studio after all and uh you know there it is a person behind that doing that 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 work and as we know the outputs from hi-fi will vary very you know very uh, very a lot page by page depending on who it who it is that actually is doing the uh the work sitting uh, behind it there's an interesting parallel here between this cover um, and also the back cover of the previous issue of uh, 18 uh, because we're, we've got uh, David Michael Beck continuing on the back covers so in order I think we've got uh, Classic Destro, Gimp Suit Jinx and the Iron Grenadiers on 19 uh, but this one on uh, 18 with Jinx is actually credited as being Tim Seeley as pencils and then uh, David Michael Beck as 
paints. So yeah, as a superficial glance, you'd look at the the way that this has been drawn and coloured and think, yep, that looks very much like uh, David Michael Beck. The you know the background, the uh, the detailing and the use of light in in the costume and the textures, all very much like his style. But the composition, the layout of the figure, does feel different and look different, and and that's obviously because it's over over the top of some uh, sealy pencils. And uh, yeah, I think it. I think it works. I think it uh, looks uh, nice. And some of the, some of the, the kind of wonkiness um, in terms of the, I guess the the kind of the flair that um, uh, Beck uses in in his fisheye lenses and his unusual way, sort of framing of some of the images is uh, is not present uh, in this particular image. I like all three of Beck's back covers. Uh, compositionally in in terms of color and light um, he's he's still not my favorite painter in comics uh, that might be Joe Jusco but these three do feel of a piece uh, I think the one with Tim Seeley's involvement turned out great what's actually most striking to me is the Iron Grenadier piece there are a lot of highlights on it and there are little bits of yellow in the highlights on the gold on these costumes but if you squint the whole piece sort of disappears in front of your eyes it's it's all quite dark and it's all not only almost all the same value brightness or darkness it's all almost the same color um and that's not something i think works on every cover uh, certainly that's not happening on the destro cover destro really pops from uh the background at least on the on the left side, right, where there's more of a difference between light and dark and his, his gauntlets are, are brighter. This Iron Grenadier piece, I don't love the design. I, you know, that this is a Devil's Due invention. The, their helmets are now overdone and... Uh, Insectoid. Yeah, sort of scary, but mm-hmm. um, uh, in, interesting painting. I don't understand what that lens flare is uh, on the right above the lower Iron Grenadiers. Just, is there like a star in the... <laughs> Like, it's not nighttime. Is there just a star? Or a plane in the far distance? Or a satellite? Or a helicopter? Jay? Who knows? Jay, what do you think? I actually kind of like their face plates on the Iron Grenadier outfits. Um, I think that that's kind of a, a neat design. It's just kind of weird looking. Other than that, I'm not a big fan of, of the Iron Grenadier cover. Um, I like that... Uh, I don't think the original design of the character had them in these kind of skin tight suits um they were more mm. you know how cobra commander has more of a um almost like a german military kind of outfit you know it's 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 almost like a suit a kind of yeah. you know clothing I, I like that look i think better this uh, is more this is almost like the the gi joe movie um, yeah. rise of cobra movie look of snake eyes to that kind of rubberized yeah um, Body and I and I agree totally. Maybe, all the, yeah, you'd like to see more, maybe of a, a texturized leather or something like like that. Yeah, I think that Destro would kind of want something that's a little more classic looking. Um, and wow, I mean, just count all those uh, those flares. The little yeah, that's I think I'm counting really distracting. 10, you 10 know, plus it's the additional two. <laughs> yeah, and that's like ten too many. The Destro one, I am not a huge fan of. And I'll tell you why this is going to probably sound stupid. There's a ventriloquist named Jeff Dunham who has a 
puppet of an old grouchy guy <laughs> called Walter. And that's exactly what Deathstroke's face that. looks like. <laughs> right? I, I mean, I'm, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I expect him to say, welcome to Walmart, get your shit and get out. It's just <laughs> not, uh, I can't, I can't look at that without seeing, without seeing Walter. Is oh, that a, brilliant. is that a, is that a coincidence? Does this image predate that puppet? I don't know. <laughs> are, is this, are you being unfair? And is this baggage you're bringing? It probably <laughs> is. It's probably my baggage. It really is. Now, as for the jinx, Once you one, see it, you can't unsee it. Though. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sorry to ruin that for any, any Joe fans out there, but, um, now to the jinx one, this is probably, what are we on issue 17? This is the first time in 17 issues. I've thought that her outfit didn't look terrible. Um, and it's interesting to me that Beck would work from another artist's pencils. Normally a, a, a painter like that is, is not going to work over somebody else's um, drawing. But I do think that one works really well. Her suit looks good. There's some, pers- I don't know, some, uh, some things that don't quite work. The handle of that pistol looks like it would probably be pointing forward, which you're not going to have that. It's sort of it's sort of bending yeah. back against her against her uh, her her glute. Yeah, it's just a, it's a little off. We could have could have probably left that off. But like I said, this is the first time that I thought that her suit looks decent. Um, yeah, and we're only seeing it from the side. But uh, yeah, I think this cover is really good. This one probably is my favorite of the three. While so, we're talking uh, about all black GI Joe costumes, I can't remember if we've brought this up before in talking about spirits all black costume i've you know i've said it just looks like he's snake eyes it needs one more thing one more mm-hmm. color and i think i forgot to criticize this new jinx outfit when we read reinstated <laughs> when we read battle battle lines like jinx is identified with red so why not have some red here and right um snake eyes is such a special character if you start surrounding him with other characters who are also all in black, he doesn't stand out. You know, it's like if you if you surround Wolverine with other characters that have claws mm-hmm. or other characters that are wearing like his mask and like his boots with those those uh, fins, those flares on them, he doesn't stand out. Um, so, which is a mistake that Marvel have made as well. But uh, yeah. it's something else. A, a separate discussion. Like, yeah, but uh, yes. Um, like I think just on its own, Jinx can be an all black. That's fine. But for, don't remember, uh, don't forget, she's often going to be standing next to Snake Eyes. Um, I think sort of generally, no one in GI Joe should, in, in all of GI Joe, Cobra, should be in only one color, except for Snake Eyes, because it, if we're thinking of toys, it looks underpainted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for her, I mean, if it had just been this outfit. Or any, you know, any of the ways that we've seen her drawn and it was red instead of black, yeah. it would have been completely different. I the never, be- I wouldn't have had one complaint about it. Yeah. But it's interesting that in the Marvel comic, um, her first several appearances, she wasn't in red either. It was always white. Mm, true. And I don't know why they did that. Either of you guys have any idea? Um, uh, probably context. Yeah. Isn't she, tr- isn't she training at the dojo? Yeah. That's yeah, I think so. Yeah, so she's not in kind of her uniform or battle togs. She's, you know, it's predates okay. guess, her joining G.I. Joe properly and that kind of thing. So so it's the context of her training and being, you know, uh, assisting the blind master in the dojo um, prior to, you know, getting in the in the missions. But yeah, I don't, yeah, she doesn't, um, 
don't know if she appears in Larry Hammer written costume uh, uh, issues very much in costume. There's there's that appearance in is it called Ladies' Day or something like that, which I think might have been her Trimpy written. Um, but I'm struggling to think off the top of my head if there was that many other occasions in the Marvel run where she is in in is in uniform. Uh, I wonder really that I can think of. I wonder if part of that is because uh, there are already lots of red ninjas in GI Joe, mm, and and point. it could be uh, visually confusing, right? And Andy Kubert's cover for GI Joe uh, ninety one, which mm-hmm. isn't it? Isn't it Snake Eyes in the middle, Scarlet and Jinx surrounded by red ninjas? First time I ever saw that, uh, it, it, I didn't know what was going on. I knew I wanted it, but I didn't know what was going on. So I think this might be. Uh, subtly an issue of clarity. Yeah, good shout. I forgot about uh, forgot about that jinx in red uh, appearance. Okay, but um, this is this. These three issues aren't only covers. They've actually got story in the middle of it and everything. Um, and uh, John and <laughs> Jay will tell us about it in the plot breakdown. On his way to a book signing, yes, I said book signing. G.I. Joe's Chief Warrant Officer Dashiell Fairborn, a.k.a. Flint, is kidnapped. Flint wakes up to find himself in a darkened cell in the Czech Republic, alongside none other than Anastasia de Cobre, the Baroness. Flint and the Baroness are interrogated by a man named Moskin, who tells them he's working for three very powerful parties, the Japanese Yakuza, an anonymous Middle Eastern dictator, and the Russian Mafia, all of whom are seeking the whereabouts of Cobra Commander. In Arizona, Flint's wife, Lady J, approaches Duke and tells him her husband is missing. The Joes locate Flint's overturned car and Duke receives a call from Destro, who tells him the Baroness is also missing and suggests they join forces to mount a joint rescue mission. Grudgingly, Duke agrees. The Joes arrive in the Czech Republic and are greeted by Diana, formerly of the October Guard, who will be assisting in the operation. While Scarlet, Diana, and the Crimson Twins infiltrate a popular local nightclub seeking information, another group consisting of Destro, Gung Ho, and Snake Eyes raid the main headquarters of a local street gang with ties to both the Russian Mafia, and the Yakuza. Once inside the nightclub, however, Scarlet's team is betrayed by another former member of the October Guard, Lieutenant Gorky. Flint and the Baroness escape, only to discover that Scarlet and the Quin- Crimson Twins have now been captured as well. They re-enter the castle to rescue their friends, just as Destro, Snake Eyes, and the others arrive to help. Lieutenant Gorky is revealed as a traitor and is shot by Destro. A firefight ensues, and Destro and the Joes are pinned down by Moskin, who blasts Destro's vehicle out of the sky with a tank. Just as Destro and the Joes prepare to surrender, they are rescued by Destro's son, Alexander. In the end, Lieutenant Gorky dies in Diana's arm, the Baroness kisses Flint, Lady J punches Flint again, and Diana joins the G.I. Joe team. Okay, very good. Hard to know where to start on this one, to be honest. It's yeah, a three-issue, one and done. It's sort of continuing with a thread that was established in a couple of issues prior when Baroness had been kidnapped by a uh, Yakuza uh, out of the back of her limo. We've got uh, a roll call of a number of different characters from a different factions all, all sort of teaming up and or against each other even as well. What we've got on the Joes, it's mostly Flint, Duke, Lady J, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, Gung-Ho and the green shirt Paige Adams, new character, um, and Cobra, the Baroness, Destro, Tomax, Zamot and uh, on the former Cobra uh, October Guard side, uh, Dana and Lieutenant uh, Gorky. Um, so yeah, a lot of people in there. It uh, may, perhaps a couple of characters too too many. 
I found it quite tricky, sort of keeping track of who some of the female characters were supposed to be because we've uh, we've got Scarlet, uh, Lady J, uh, Paige Adams, and Dana there, um, all looking fairly visually uh, sim- similar. You know, um, short hair, a um, bit difficult to tell apart at times. Got possibly a theme of couples and romance going on through the issue. There seems to be a lot of kissing going on as as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of kissing that happens in the G.I. Joe world, but there seems to be a lot here. There's certainly there's um, yeah, they're making up for lost time. Yeah, we probably we probably had some from from Baroness and Destro. Who knows? Can't remember. Um, there was some from Baroness and uh, and Flint, as seen in the the cover, <laughs> and uh, Scarlet and uh, Snake Eyes, even uh, in mid battle as as well, which was a little bit weird. But yeah, <laughs> that was my my rambling uh, lam- rambling uh, t- take on, on on some of it. Lots of people in kissing. Um, I think. Maybe uh, if one of you want to come up uh, with your your high level view of these three issues in a slightly more coherent way. Sure. I like the plot. I don't like the script. Blaylock is doing something different here, but too many factions, too many characters. And as you said, I can't tell the women apart. And I, I have a specific panel that sort of kicks off that problem. I appreciate how international this is. I love when G.I. Joe teams up with Destro or Destro. This has happened in the comics. This has happened in the animation. I love it when Destro either sells out Cobra Commander to G.I. Joe or there's some third faction, I guess fourth faction, if Destro is the third faction. Um, I like it when Destro and the Joes team up. But even here, it's sort of marred by a, a panel or two where I feel like the character voices aren't correct and uh, there's there's too much going on. And by the time it's all over, I feel like there are several narrative and character missteps that keep this story arc from working for me. I agree. I think uh, the plot was really good. But yeah, you, you both make a lot of really good points. There was a character introduced. And I honestly, you know, still am not sure whether she's a Joe or who the, the Paige Adams character is supposed to be. Seems to be uh, coming out of nowhere and really, in the end, has no relevance to anything. That could have completely been Diane of the October show or the October Guard. There's just very little distinction between uh, the way Lady J looks and the way Scarlet looks. There's several panels where... You could be looking at one and, and you think you're you're seeing another one. Also agree with Mark. I don't think that a lot of the, uh, oh, I don't know if emotion is the right word. You know, there's things that I kind of do like, like, uh, you know, Lady J telling Duke, uh, Flint and I have a thing that we do. You know, if, if somebody's going to be gone, he'll leave something on his pillow, whatever. It lets her know. And that's It's a nice little touch. It's kind of, eh, I, I don't know how well it's pulled off. Um, but then, you know, later she's all Duke, please don't let anyone know you saw me like this. You know, she's sniffling and he's like, Oh, don't worry. Your reputation with a hard ass is safe with me. Come on. We know, you know, if they're married, of course she's going to be concerned. It's not like he's going to walk out and go, ah, you guys, lady J's crying. I mean, 
it's just not something that needs to be said. <laughs> she loves her husband. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, a <laughs> she's a wimp, you know. Uh, and, and then, yeah, the the kissing in the battle, you know, Snake Eyes comes in and Scarlet rushes over to him and, you know, does the, the Mary Jane with his mask and, and they kiss in the middle of battle. And I'm like, no, that's not, uh, you know, if Snake Eyes could talk, he'd be like, woman, I got people to kill. You know, this can wait. And and then, you know, later we see the same thing with uh, Flint and Lady J. The one that I did like was at the end when Baroness is like, hold on. And she goes and kisses um, Flint because that's that's totally a Baroness move, you know, and she probably knows this is going to get uh, this is going to get both Flint and Lady J riled up. Uh, but then again, we get the the beat where Lady J punches Flint afterward. I, I don't think that would happen either especially after we just spent the the two or three scenes in the first issue where she's all worried about him and and you know everything when she punched him the first time in the marvel comics uh, and i'm not sure how many there were but the first one that i can think of was when um it was after they had rescued stalker and outback and quick kick and he was mad at snake eyes and scarlet for lying to them and going over undercover and he said something and lady j punched him you know that was that was kind of mission related. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like the scene in Reinstated where Scarlet slapped Snake Eyes in the face because he left her at the altar. You know, it was something that was you're being a jerk. Uh, and you could see a, a male character doing that to any other male character. You know, it wasn't like here's a woman who's overly emotional and she's smacking this guy because uh, because another lady kissed her to make him jealous. High school stuff. Yeah, I was going to just uh, point point out uh, as well that so that's um, specific reference back to issue sixty seven where it's even on the cover. I think it's Mike, is it Mike Zek cover? Probably, um, where uh, Lady J is punching out uh, Flint, echoing what happened in the interiors of the the story where he's acting like a bit of an asshole towards. It's uh, a. I'll bet. It's a Ron Wagner cover, but ah, it's one of those Ron Wagner covers that you think is a Zek cover. <laughs> um, Clearly. I'm going to go a step further. I'm sorry. I don't think Josh Blaylock knows how to write women. Agreed. And, um, and I'll I'll forgive that because I think he and I are about the same age. And if I was writing and publishing a G.I. Joe comic when I was <laughs> like 22, let's just say I should not be doing that, right? It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm just not ready. So, okay. In the first part of this arc on pages 7 and 11... Lady J is worried and sad, and then she's crying. And sorry, these are soldiers, and I, I soldiers feel emotion, and <clears throat> excuse me, soldiers feel emotion and they express emotion. We don't really see that in GI Joe. Um, and then in the middle chapter, uh, Flint, who's tortured for hours or days. He like yells like bring it on right and and even the uh, the size of the lettering gets bigger to show that he's yelling, um, and like he's some kind of uh, superhuman. And then in the final chapter, in the the panel where Snake Eyes has after Snake Eyes has crashed through the window and also shot some of the bad guys and also shot near the hostages he's rescuing, he cuts uh, Scarlet's binds. And it's not colored, and it's very small. But in the panel before she kisses him, she's crying, which I don't understand. And then she's crying when she kisses him. 
So there's several things wrong with that. One, she should just grab a gun or start kicking people or running. Two, as Jay said, Snake Eyes would not accept a kiss. And uh, like, this is a thing, this is a thing that someone writes when when they're not thinking about the actual timing and logic of a story, right? Like at the end of Star Wars episode two, in the arena, um, all the Jedi show up and Anakin and Padme, right? She was tied up and her like costume is like cut. So Natalie Portman is like exposing her midriff, right? Cause like Star Wars has still gotta be a little sexy. And she like jumps and lands on the like CG dinosaur that Anakin Skywalker's on and she like leans in and gives him a peck. It's like, look, I understand you were both just tied up or one of you was tied up and you might die. But like, this guy's a Jedi. This is a fight. You've been a senator and a princess. There's no time for this. Like, that's just for the audience to be like, oh, that's what they do. And no, that's not what you do. (laughs) Um, And then, and then Diana, who does nothing for the story, and uh, Jay, in that wonderful summary, made a good point that Diana and Sergeant Paige Adams just should have been one character. At the end of the story, Gorky, were at his tombstone, and for some reason, Snake Eyes is with her. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. For some reason, he looks sort of mean or angry, and she's crying. And so in, in this version of G.I. Joe, women are emotional and they cry men are like tough and they just get angry right like there's the there's a panel in uh it's page nine of the final chapter so uh the bad guy who's been torturing baroness and flint grabs baroness and sticks a gun to her head uh gung-ho or dr mindbender or random beefy bald guy because in this universe like dr mindbender and gung-ho have like the same glasses and the same mustache and i can't tell them apart. thank you thank you also, I, I think there's either a random like third guy who's bald with that mustache who shows up in this story or Gung-Ho shows up, but no one calls him by name the first time. Anyway, so um, Gung-Ho says, you know, on second thought, why don't you take her? Why don't you, bad guy who's got uh, Baroness hostage, why don't you just leave, right? Because no skin off my teeth. And Destro screams with his arm out and his missiles ready to fire. If he harms one more hair on her head, I'll kill everyone present, even if I die in the process. Nope, that's not Destro. Destro can get angry. (laughs) Um, He can lose it. I don't think he he should lose his cool. I I guess he could, because the story has gone to some lengths to show that he's like killing his way and yelling his way to find his beloved. He's in love, man. That's not Destro. And so... Uh, the gender role stuff here, woof, does not work. Yeah, absolutely agree. And uh, since you mentioned it, oh man, alive. The very first panel that he shows up, I was like, why is Dr. Mindbender riding out of the, the G.I. Joe airplane? Exactly, like, exactly what I thought. I thought, and, oh, because they're, they're teaming up. Yeah, and, and like, it took me a while to realize that's gung-ho. He's drawn exactly like Dr. Mindbender is in almost every panel way huge mistake huge mistake now to be fair to brandon beto he does draw um heroic characters extra big and beefy and i don't recall if he drew mindbender a couple issues ago and mindbender is more of a a slim 
Guinea guy, and I feel like if Beto drew the two of them next to each other, they wouldn't have the same body type. So we sort of should be able to uh, tell them apart. But you know, there's a rule in stories that you you name your characters each time they show up for the first time. At Marvel in the '80s, that rule was because every comic book was someone's first. But the rule could work here because half these characters aren't in their iconic costumes, right? Gung-Ho's got some, like, coat on, which kind of looks like what Dr. Mindbender would wear, although it's not purple. And also, there's a scene where they're all in coats because it's cold, and then there's a scene where they're all in evening wear because they're at a fancy club. And, And it would be hard to tell these characters apart if there weren't Joes and Cobras and October Guard and some random... Czech military good guys who are helping the October Guard, and then also the Yakuza, and then also the Russian something, and then also the something something. There are... And then also uh, Cobra Commander is in the final two pages, right? There, I think there are nine factions in this story. They, they help us out with Gung-Ho a little bit by having um, a name tag on his... Uh, yeah, I saw that. Right, which shows up after uh, the first chapter. Or after uh, the first couple panels. Possibly, yeah, yeah. Well, I th- what my funniest uh, gung ho moment was in that. Um, I think it's the first appearance of, of him in this this story where he's uh, being introduced with. Uh, he's alongside uh, Lady J, Scarlet, and Snake Eyes, and uh, with the the Cobra faction at this point. And um, someone's talking um, and says that uh, my assistant is now handing you vital information you need for this mission, including photographs of suspects who may be at Savoyas. I'm assured by your superiors that each of you are experts at undercover operations and a customer to surveillance technology we've provided. And as he's being uh, given this um, this folder, he's sort of eyeing up this assistant. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then he's looking at his paperwork over the top of his glasses uh, and checking out her butt. <laughs> I hadn't her. noticed that. Are you this chuckling is, uh, at this that it's it's like funny and fun, or are you frowning at this like it's out of character or distracting? Uh, mostly the latter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um, Gung Ho, who likes to generally parade uh, around with his shaved head, handlebar, handlebar mustache, massive tattoo on it. Yeah, and uh, just wearing a, a small top that's showing off his beefy muscles. Um, I wonder if uh, the the writers barking up the wrong tree a little bit because yeah later on in the idw continuity i think uh, they in that continuity they do make certain character traits canon which uh <laughs> doesn't bother me one way or the other but uh yeah this whole sequence uh it's like what are you thinking putting this in here does it if, if you're going to put it in one story beat does does it do you need to have that one and does it need to be gung-ho who knows so i want to point out a panel for me which is sort of where the story starts to reveal itself as um, not keeping track of itself. And that is, uh, it's in the first chapter, and it's uh, it's about halfway Page through. Page one, issue one, panel one. <laughs> oh, um, sorry. Uh, it, it's, it's about in the middle, halfway through uh, the first chapter, uh, there's, the, there's the C-130 or whatever the giant cargo plane is landing, and this big middle panel of uh, three Joe vehicles coming out of the plane there's like a humvee maybe it's the hammer there's a an atv and there's sort of the silver mirage right and i see four joes i see left to right gung-ho 
Lady J, Scarlet, and Snake Eyes. But in the previous panel, when the plane is landing, there's a there's a disembodied word balloon. So someone in control and command is rattling off what's going to happen. And they say, okay, all troops ready. Snake Eyes, Gung Ho, Lady J, Sergeant Paige Adams. So that's one, two, three, one, two, three, four yeah, names. Missing, missing Scarlet, isn't it? On the... Right. It's missing Scarlet, but it mentions Sergeant Paige Adams. But then the next panel, it's missing Sergeant Paige Adams, but I see Scarlet. And so when I read this, I thought, wait, who's Sergeant Paige Adams? And it didn't even occur to me that she is a green shirt from a previous issue. Mm-hmm. I started to wonder, wait, is she the person who was doing that briefing? Um, I guess the briefing happens on the next page. I just, I just didn't, I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't tell. So, uh, Mark and Jay, who is Sergeant Paige Adams? See, I didn't do my homework to answer this properly, but I think she was established, uh, in a, in some earlier issues as, uh, a bit of an expert marksman. Oh, was she the one? Pretty, yeah, I think I might know what scene you're talking about. I'm sure she was what, referred what to by name and she was kind of showing off that she's a, a hot shot shot. Is this one of those scenes where the uh, Beachhead's giving the green shirts a hard time? I don't think it was Beachhead because it was at the shooting range. Okay. It could have been. Is it Dam- are Damon and Firewall nearby and they're like, we're out of shape? <laughs> <laughs> you would expect that. I'm wondering on that same page that you're talking about where the plane lands. How many headlights are on that silver mirage? Uh, that's perfectly in keeping with the 2003 really? Hasbro, Hasbro vehicle redesigns and the Devils do costume redesigns. I don't like oh. it. <laughs> I don't like it, no. but it's perfectly in keeping. I mean, um, it looks okay. like a, a fly with like eight eyes on it or something. All right, so here's oh. here's one more thing where, um, and this one's, a, this one's a smaller detail. So a couple pages later, um, uh, a limo pulls up to uh, this fancy house um, and uh, this Japanese guy gets out of the back of the limo and the Russian or Czech guy with the cigar and the like Russian cap takes him down the stairs and opens the door. And this is where Flint and Baroness are tied up together. And uh, the Russian or Czech guy says, uh, the prisoners are right down hall. Uh, I would like you to meet Mr. Shuten or Mr. Shoten compliments of japanese yakuza i don't know what i'm looking at in this final panel upon looking at it more carefully we're looking past someone's butt and the camera is at like three and a half feet four feet tall as someone is putting a tray down on a ta- a wooden table or a bench and then behind it is like the stone wall i can't tell what's on this tray or platter Oh, it's it's torture devices. Yeah, it just sort of looked like it looked like writing. Of... It looked like writing. Yeah, it looks like hieroglyphs. The, um... Looked like writing on a like a scroll. Okay, having now read this comic and slept on it and thought about it, because uh, something's referred to on the next page. So there's something else in particular about this panel at the bottom of the page with the hand holding the tray. So you turn the page, and the Baroness says the missing pinky gave it away. So is this moron going to ask me the same stupid questions as you? Yada, 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 yada. I don't know where Cobra Commander is. Don't torture us. And I'm thinking, wait, someone's missing a pinky? And so I'm looking I'm looking at this page where the torture guy is now putting on gloves and then he reaches his hands behind his head. I mm-hmm. don't know why. And then the next panel, the big panel, they're like two Polaroids that are like 
floating in the air because he's taking pictures with a digital camera that does not print pictures. It's not an instant camera. So like, okay, you know what? You know what? In the language of comics, you can compress time. You can put things visually on top of things that are from another place, another time, Mm -hmm. uh, another character. You can have inset panels. Like, this is okay, except that I don't understand. And it's like, oh, he's putting on an apron because he doesn't want to get himself bloody. But I don't see the apron because there are these like Polaroids in front of it. It's like, wait, is he missing a pinky? So now I realize that one of these gloves... The floppy pinky finger. Okay, but let's go back. Let's go back to the previous page. There's the panel with with looking past his butt as he's leaning down, uh, putting (laughs) down a tray. Okay, where was the tray? He's not carrying a tray in the two previous panels. He's carrying a briefcase. Also, in one of those panels, I can't see what he's carrying because there's a word balloon in the way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, back to this final panel. It's like if a canvas look, roll that he's rolling out. That is okay. Got, um, all if of you these. look, yes, thank you. Uh, all the way on the right side, where the page ends, uh, his his right pinky looks, I guess, shorter than the other ones. But the way that the hand is drawn with the fingers sort of curved, it's a little hard to tell. Like, uh, okay, so here's this one particular thing that makes this character, one, recognizable to the Baroness. She knows who this like infamous torture guy is from the Yakuza. And two, that is gonna give him like a, a fun quirk for us, the reader, to latch onto. And I can't see it, because it's colored really dark, it's drawn almost off the page. And then later on, at the end, when everything goes to heck, um, in the final chapter, someone's like, I think one, one of the good guys or one of the other oh one of the other bad guys you know is like upset that the prisoners are escaping and he's like he's like a, a missing pinky is not all you're gonna get for this mission going awry and it's like oh right he was missing a pinky which literally did not come up for an entire issue like the middle <laughs> chapter of this story it's like if he had an eye patch that's undeniable because Brandon Badeau is absolutely gonna draw his face if he has a I don't know, like a like a medallion. It's like if he had a medallion like Destro and half the time it was tucked under his shirt. It's like, what what medallion? Comics are a visual medium. You have to show things. Show and tell. Show and tell. Mm. It's The reason it's a pinky is because he's Yakuza, right? So that's, you know, it's sort of leaning into the trope that y- Yakuza get fingers chopped off for, for doing, uh, you know, for doing badly by their... By their by okay. Their, Bosses, so. uh, yes. Okay. Sorry. I, no, so there's I had a logic learned, for choosing that. I had learned that from a movie. I had forgotten it. Thank you. For <laughs> Which is probably how Josh Blaylock also learned it. I feel like uh, there's a lot of movie, movie etic, let's call it, um, elements that, uh, and tropes that kind of, uh, you know, informing the way that this, uh, this story works. I dug out, by the way, I dug out um, uh, what, at least one of the page, Adam's previous appearances which was from issue two where it looks like uh dusty is doing some sharpshooting training and um uh, page adams is at the uh, rifle range he says name soldier page adams sir u.s army now if you don't mind blam 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 nice show hun two out of six how about trying try aiming next time commander dusty digital play like sh- shows that all shots uh so all six shots hit i'm sorry you didn't say it, so I had to make six holes. 
So she shot the target three times, but it's twice in the going through the same hole because she's that good. Um, so I, f I think she's appeared probably a couple of other times throughout these these issues, but obviously this is the first time that she's being incorporated as a character uh, proper on on a mission alongside the, but the other Joes, and you know, obviously in, in this arc, it never comes up that she's an excellent marksman. So uh, no, why? well, she takes the shot to um, to. To, to kill to take out the is it the, the torture guy who's no but that's holding... I no I, I I take Jay's point here that in the beginning of this arc no one reminds the reader mm. who she is or what she does or that she's good at it and Mark it's very possible that she shows up one or two other times between issue two and issue seventeen eighteen nineteen if not that's fifteen months plus the months of reinstated running bi monthly so. It's possible that readers actually haven't seen this character in more than a year and a half. I thought it was a new character. I thought it was a confusing something something that I, didn't <laughs> under, that, I that I did that I didn't understand. Yeah, I'm not saying it's perfect, but uh, there is there is at least some continuity going uh, going on there, even if uh, it's uh, you know even if we're not being necessarily always quite helped along in the in the journey. Uh, as as we might otherwise uh, like to to be, shall I point I point out one of the thing weird things that that threw me? There were there were there were a couple. One of them was this this torturer. So they've they've escaped, and somehow the Baroness took off her glasses and used her glasses to escape. And then once they uh, they are out, we've got this splash played reveal of the torturer coming coming out. This is in uh, issue nineteen. It's a yeah splash page of 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 him, uh, sort of clutching a wound, and he says prisoners have escaped, and uh, between his legs at the very bottom of the the panel is some falling glass. It looks like, and the top of the glass looks maybe like a bottom of a wine glass or something, and I couldn't quite work out what that was supposed to to indicate. The the only thing that made any sort of logical sense would be that maybe it's the shards of glass from baroness's glasses that were used to to yoink him but i don't know i think i can help here okay please do so he's he's staggering in because he mm -hmm. he got stabbed in the arm and behind him is an end table with a lamp and some framed photos mm. i think that's one of those little glass jars that has like candy or um cotton balls in it okay it's like more of a decoration in a like fancy person's house mm. i think the idea here is that he like stumbles in and bumps into the wall and the table and knocks something off and if you flip back to the previous page the final panel he is leaning against the wall, and we see that table. But oh no, not that glass jar that he's about to knock off. Mm, okay, I'll go with that. That makes sense. <laughs> it makes more sense than the than the Baroness's glasses for somehow somehow at that point choosing to appear that, between his um, legs. It's good you bring up the Baroness's glasses. I I love that she gets them out. It's not Flint that she does it with her glasses, uh, which is you know, part of her like signature look and that either it's she like breaks them and there's a sharp piece and she picks the lock or t cuts the rope or maybe she actually has a little blade hidden in her glasses. But that whole thing happens off panel. It's just all of a sudden she's not wearing glasses and she's free. And Flint says, I thought you looked different. It's like, wait, we're, we're, 
what? <laughs> no, that's cool. Like, show me that. So here's a case where the script um, skips or avoids something that would be helpful or cool. I just, sorry, I just figured out something as well from the, the escape sequence that yeah. finally made, made sense because I thought she had maybe stabbed this torturer with her glasses. I thought glasses aren't particularly deadly implement, but I think what she's done is that she's undone her restraints so that she's got her hands free. And, and because, she, you know, they, they think that she is still tied up, they're underestimating her and she's able to grab the, uh, the scalpel that he's wielding with her from him turn it around and then oh i see that stab him no because you see it falling and then you see it falling which is which is also a bit strange that you'd think right you know that seems to indicate that maybe he's dropping it i don't know i don't know i don't know yeah he's got that arm wound in that place where she's got her fist up against his shoulder so is mm. oh maybe maybe there are two scalpels maybe he drops the one he's holding and She's holding one that we can't see because she has, in the previous panel, her her arm is out of view. And then in this panel, she's plunged it all the way into him. Mm. I don't okay. she stabbed think him this with is something. one we can no prize. <laughs> um, I, have, I have one last uh, gender thing here. So there are, th- there are three or so panels in, in issues 18 and 19 where uh, the Baroness's underwear... It's like visible above her like low rise and tight pants. And that's a thing that male comics artists were drawing mm-hmm. in comics around 2003. And, and to as... be fair, was how some females were dressing around okay. about that era as well. <laughs> okay, but do you think that's how the Baroness dresses? <laughs> Not so much. Now... Um, so it, it, this feels uh, cheap and exploitive. But what's also strange is that half the panels we can see that and half the panels we can't. So I don't like it, but if you're going to do something, right, it's, it's got to be consistent. All right, I've, I've one other. All right, so the thing with her glasses being somehow a, a, a lock pick, I like that. I wish we'd seen it or that it wasn't like a weird deus ex machina where all of a sudden they're free and flint's like oh well, let me explain how we got to be free as as a flip side there's a scene which i like but it's it's overwritten and it's uh it's in issue 17 the first chapter and it's this page that i don't like where lady j is crying in duke's office um brandon Bado draws really great body language on this uh green shirt who has a name tag johnson and he comes in uh, duke you have a call in line for someone who says they need to speak to you right away and he's holding his hand up with his pinky and his thumb to his ear and his mouth in the miming you have a phone call uh pose and that's great beto's art here is good i don't think it's as we'll talk about the art as a separate category when i'm when i'm done complaining about writing um so and then and then Duke uh, holds up his hand in a really like great body language way, like tell whoever it is to, to to take a number. So then he goes back to comforting Lady J, and then uh, Johnson comes back in again. Duke, I think you might want to take this. Uh, the caller is very insistent and says he has information that concerns you. He sounds legit to me. And so Duke picks up the phone. On the one hand, this kind of thing does happen. You call someone, they ignore you or hang up on you, and then you call them back, or you get a call, you hang up on them. And then you get a call back and it's like, no, no, this really is like Robert De Niro or like, no, 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 this is the president. This is not your friend pulling a prank. On the other hand, this page just wasted two panels w- with no uh, benefit. 
It's like, no, Destro still got through. And Duke still says, how did you get this number? And Destro says, I have my ways. This is a small thing. This isn't like, Josh Blaylock, what have you done? But for the pacing of it, I think it's interesting because he's like, no, 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 I'm not taking that call. Like, no, sir, he called back. Like, what? At the same time, get on with it. I'm much more interested in Destro and Duke having this moment on the phone uh, rather than like, uh, sir, he's called a seventh time. This guy, uh, Johnson, I'm still talking to Lady J. Turn around. Don't see her crying. Like, sir, he's called an eighth time. It's like too much. So what uh, what else was there? I wanted to, <laughs> this is, you know, this is turning into a bit of a list of gripes from, from us, uh, which is maybe a bit unfair <laughs> on the overall art. But well... um, what struck me about was one of those last pages where we were talking about it before, Tim, with um, Dana and um, Snake Eyes um, in the in the clouds, just as they're at a gravesite burying, burying Gorky. And um, just that pan, final panel of that that page just <laughs> made me laugh because it's like, what is going on there? It just looks like um, Dana's in the back of this limo and, um, you know, Snake Eyes is just nuzzling <laughs> into her hair. Can you see that? Yeah, it does look kind of weird. And I had to wonder when I first saw this, I was like, is she driving? I'm like, what is she, what is she doing? And, and where is he at? But yeah, you really have to look at it to figure out that okay, they're in the, his there's, lap. What? Uh, <laughs> it looks that way, but I'm sure that's not what's happening. I think that they're in the back seat. She's kind of leaning forward, looking out the window. Mm -hmm. Snake eyes is looking mean like snake eyes does. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 character placement is it's really not, not new, doing it any favors. You yeah. sexed up snake and the, the eyes. The whole panel with them in the clouds. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's right. The panel, <laughs> the, the semi splash of them in the clouds is is confusing, and I don't remember from issues uh, one hundred one and one hundred two or Special Missions 26, or Issue 92. I don't remember if Snake Eyes and uh, this October Guard member have any particular connection, uh, if Snake Eyes has a particular connection to Gorky. Th yeah, the... I don't think so. I don't think they were ever on the same missions yeah. together. So um... why is Snake Eyes here? Why aren't there more Joes? Or why are there no Joes? And then... Uh, in the final panel, when she's in the limo, she says, I think because uh, uh, I'll miss home, but moving to America could be just what I need. I think becoming a member of G.I. Joe is just what I need. Uh, oh, I didn't know anyone could just announce that they're going to be a member of G.I. Joe. <laughs> like, did Duke or Flint or Hawk offer that? Like, there's no there's no tip off earlier in the story. It's mm. like, well, we've got an exchange program or like, you know, uh, since Sergeant Page Adams, uh, I, I, that's uh you know, we should we should take on some some October Guard members. Like that's cool. I don't understand how it how it just sort of happens arbitrarily here. Mm -hmm. This would have worked better if it had been like Duke or Flint accompanying her, and there was more of a conversation about I don't know what I'm going to do now. And then the last panel is them saying, maybe becoming well, a GI Joe. Member yeah, maybe you, you could join us or something instead of like you said, her just saying, hmm, I think I'll become a GI Joe. All right. All right. I have one. I have one last sort of uh, too many characters story doesn't quite um, add up uh, comment. So 
Um, again, Mark, thank you for reminding us who Sergeant Paige Adams is and that she's so cool. Um, <laughs> she's my favorite character, man. I can't I, no, believe no, this. No, no, I don't mean that. <laughs> I, I'm not making fun. I'm thank you for thank we you are. for grabbing the comic. Okay, so <laughs> all right. So at the so at the end, so there's this showdown in this mansion where the the torture guy has the Baroness with a gun to her head, and the torture guy gets shot. And Baroness is safe. And it cuts back to Lady J, who's just standing there, not doing anything. Also Scarlet, Sergeant Paige Adams, and Snake Eyes. Dramatically, don't we want it to be Lady J to be the character who takes out the evil villain who tortured Flint? The man she loves that she's been so upset about? Lady J doesn't get to do anything in this story that like directly affects flint but she does go and hug him and cry in the next panel right so going back to jay's comment about what what sergeant page adams did could have been done by one of the other characters it's like you know this october guard member and her it's like that should have been one role and then yeah i mean dana is the october guards um sniper as as well which is right (laughs) the other thing wow see there you go okay and then and then, so when Jay uh, um, did the but summary... But wait, there's more. Uh, well, it's on the same page. So, when <laughs> Jay, when you did your summary earlier, you said that Destro shot Gorky. Yes. Where does that happen? It happens in... And I had to look. It happens in the scene... Let me go back here. Where Destro, in his flying thing, whatever it is, he busts in the window... And Gorky is standing on like mm-hmm. the balcony, and he shoots him there. He comes in, back, 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 you know, and, and two or three bad okay. guys yell, and that's okay. where he got shot. Because I'm like you, I had to flip back through there two or three times and be like, where did he get shot at? And and that's it right there is where he gets hit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. And that, it's established that's... that he's one of the guys on that that ledge because yeah. Uh. He yeah. Flint specifically says, Gorky, what are you doing here, working for these creeps, and they're holding him. And then it's yeah, bam, 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 bam. Yep. Right, but but that page where the um, anti gravity pod crashes through the window and shoots Gorky and two other bad guys, the top middle panel, everyone's in silhouette. All right, so I, yeah, my other question was, uh, oh, I guess Gorky uh, is dying. Um, <laughs> it's like what? Oh, what? You know, this sounds mean, but like, why should I care? I think his. His death would mean a lot more if there were fewer characters, so he could do yeah. more, mm-hmm. and his betrayal could be greater. Um, yeah. And it and him like explaining at the very end, like, "Oh, you don't know what it's like. Uh, things have fallen apart in the Soviet Union. My unit was corrupt." It's like, uh, "Oh, uh, that's a lot of exposition." Two seconds before you die, I wish, <laughs> I wish I had known that you were having okay. a hard time earlier. Okay. It's all right. um the other thing about the gorky uh... character arc here was that um gorky hasn't appeared a huge amount in the in the story in the gi joe universe at this point to date and then um does and you know the the one memorable thing about him and his his character was that um he had this flirtatious moment with um lady J when they were out on their on their mission in those issues where where it was they appeared was it you know roundabout issue 103 something like that i'm trying to find it but um oh yeah here it is 
Um, when, when they reunite, he says, Lady Jayski, how are you to be doing, my love? Lieutenant Gorky, so long that I do not be seeing you. Stuff it, Rusky. I'm not here for the dating scene. Haven't you heard? My husband's on vacation here. <laughs> it's a little bit, um, you know, maybe she can let him down and, and <laughs> say that she's married. The dynamic dialogue, is different. dialogue, I tell you. Stuff it, Rusky. Um, come on. She's, she's just been nice. <laughs> and the broken English that the Russian characters all speak, just like that. So nice to be seeing you or whatever. I mean, yeah. I wanted to point out one know. thing about that um, that moment about the anti-gravity pod, uh, pod sort of busting through the, the window. And, uh, you know, they, so... so uh, Destro sort of saves the day, but then um, Flint realizes what's going on, and he confronts him and is pointing his uh, his dual pistols at him. And uh, Destro uh, Destro says, uh, you know, that he's on his side, and he says, Flint, I'm not. If I'm not speaking the truth, then why would I open the canopy to expose myself? And uh, I had to do a double take on that and go, what? The canopy's open because <laughs> um, it's all coloured in the same colour, the glass and the uh and the canopy itself so and the open bit of the canopy is out of shot so there's not many visual cues that we've got that the the canopy is open what would have been i think better would be if instead of bathing destro in this pink light the same as the pink glass of the canopy that it, it you know it was colored in a more natural style to indicate that that yeah there wasn't this dividing uh, can canopy still between them mine a nitpick um, we do get um, we do get the reveal of the cobra strike hiss in action with its uh, front section lifted up like a snake ready to attack, and uh, Alexander Destro back in uh, his big stompy boots in action, somewhat uh, saving the day by um, taking out this uh, big Russian baddie, the Russian creep Moskin in his uh, tank, who's threatening to blow them all away uh, as they are gathered together in the balcony. How do you guys feel about Alexander's return and and what he does? I don't like that he's wearing his Destro costume again. Would Destro really be like, yeah, all right, put the same silver mask on that I wear all the time? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is that it, right there? Yeah. I don't mind his return. I don't mind any of that. Just the fact that he's got the same outfit on. Yeah, as a visual cue, it's just, you know, it's, it's not. It doesn't too work. similar to, to yeah. the real Destro to to really you know stand out something different it'd be like tim said in in uh, in one of the previous issues if we had a uh, roadblock and um double blast in the same panel and they were drawn like exactly the same mm -hmm. um that's a good point that he the the mask is a different discussion uh certainly he should have a different costume right it can be red and black it can have a cue that says destro family destro um but it, it probably shouldn't be the costume he had in reinstated because you know he's been punished and and he's he is a wholly different character he's not a you know a clone or i like that he shows up i i, I really appreciate how though blaylock crams in too much you know the final two pages uh we come back to Cobra Commander and Zartan, who were more important in some previous issues, Tomax and Zamot, who are a runner in this arc, and I, I like I like how they work in this arc. They show up, refer, reference back to the uh, Dreadnoughts, and then 
looking ahead to Storm Shadow and probably some ninja stuff because the final page ends on this question, where is Storm Shadow, right? And, and seemingly he should be uh, up on the roof or he has been up on the roof and left a message. I don't, I don't understand uh, this warehouse or like cover building for Cobra in Detroit, Michigan called Trash. Uh, I, I was just looking at that. I'm like, what? I, 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 you know, I think it's, you know, it's like it's supposed to be a factory or a nightclub or a warehouse or something. And, you know, like we've all seen or been to businesses where it's got some name that doesn't, you know, like you go to some steakhouse and it's called like Rusty's. Right. And it's not, yeah. you know, the steakhouse isn't called like meat place. It's called Rusty's. It's some guy's <laughs> name or it's a fe- it's a feeling, right? Like, oh, cowboys and rustic and wood. Right. It's not like, oh, is the meat rusty? Like, no. So this can be whatever it wants to be. Um, but it, it seems awfully particular that it's like trash and it's in this sort of like Japanese uh, like calligraphy uh, handwriting. So asks a question that i'm not sure the answer to mm, yeah okay so um, just like people will get japanese symbols that they think mean like courage and really it means like soup uh, this is probably means something else but since they're 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 not english letters they're japanese characters it probably says something totally different that we don't understand because we're not japanese or tattoo artists <laughs> okay um so how do you all right so um we've had uh brandon Badeau on the book before he now pencils three issues in a row uh jay you were a big fan of his work yes uh, previously how art wise how do these three issues work for you not as strong as the previous two that he did and i go back through these and there's some panels that are really strong uh but then there's other spots that just feel a bit more rushed and i feel like probably that was uh the the big problem was you know he probably had a tighter deadline with these but yeah it's it's i don't think it's as strong as the previous two issues that he did you know and like i said i could go back through and point out different panels where he does like face up or uh, close-ups of people's faces and eyes and things uh like there's one panel where you see uh baroness i think it's one of the very first panels where she's in the in the cell and she looks at flint you know over her glasses and her eyes look really nice in that one so yeah, there's there's some things that he does, some hands, some gestures, like you said when uh, when Duke gets Dester's phone call, that were really good. But then there's other panels that just don't work. Like you were talking about the um, the panel where uh, Paige Adams shoots the torture, the Japanese torture. That panel, I mean, you know, she shoots him in the first panel, blam, and then you see her standing with the other Joes and the gun's smoking. I had to really look at that panel first to see what was going on there and you know i don't know whether it was late when i read this or or i I, the first time i read it honestly was on my phone so it was a pretty small image but it almost looks like if you're not looking at it close i thought that like scarlet had somebody around the throat that you know the same way that this guy had the baroness and it just was kind of unclear especially with scarlet's head uh, where it was at you know what was going on there and it's too many people trying to cram too many people in one panel. In that panel, you need the shooter, Scarlet, and Lady J. Scarlet should be where Snake Eyes is. I'm not sure who's behind them. I think it's supposed to be the Crimson Twins, maybe. They don't even need to be in that panel. Um, it would have worked a lot better with them not there. And there's just there's in the other story spots. 
Yeah, there's other spots where he has to deal with, and I think it, it goes back to, uh, like you said, having too many people in this art. When he's able to spend a panel or, you know, space on one character, uh, he does really well. When he's trying to, to cram too much stuff into one panel, it tends to get a little sloppy or, uh, you know, uh, it looks a lot looser than than like some of the close-ups and stuff that he does that are really nice. Uh, it just overall doesn't work as good as, as the other one did. Um, but still, I mean, there's there's some nice spots. But the spots where it doesn't work, r- really, they do they do hamper the story quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like I like that he's we've got an artist for the three issue arc and we've got a consistent look to the art. I think Beto's art generally is strong. It's not necessarily my you know favorite style, but um, you know, there's you know, it, it generally does look good, even if potentially a lot of the characters are a little bit samey in the terms of, you know, being able to differentiate the the females and the way that the men are always or, or you know, built like brick shit houses. But um but yeah, the the art, you know, is is looks nice and and there's a lot of uh good uh, action sequences throughout the uh the issue which he, you know, generally carries off well and when you've got as many locations technology um and characters as as it being crammed in in here it's a difficult job to to really you know properly balance all of that stuff stuff out when when you've got as many cast members of as we've got and sort of pinging in between scenes uh the way that we have here it's uh it's i think it's, it's a tricky tricky ask for for an artist so um I think we've we've been focusing a little bit on the negative here, here but um, there I think there is a lot of positives uh, within it as well. Yeah, like we said, it, it it'd be a hard job, you know, because especially with this art. What'd you say? There was like nine different factions. I mean, go through here and count how many different characters are in this this arc. It'd be tough. It'd be tough to make everybody look different and to cram it all in there and get the backgrounds and you know keep things clear. And changing you know, costumes. Not at all saying that I could do a better job. Every yeah. Few, every and, few seems everyone's looking different again. And yeah. and not only are there a lot of characters, uh, there's also just a lot of action. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of acting. There's a lot of people having yeah. conversations where they need to be pointing and looking and leaning over. There's a lot of punching and walking downstairs and vehicles uh, show up. Uh, I think... I think uh, I think Bado is most comfortable, as Jay says, when there's one character in a panel. Uh, but uh, so much is thrown at him in these three issues. Um, he he pulls it off well. Cool. Um, shall we move on to I Spy, or are there more thoughts? I'm ready for I Spy. I Spy with my little eye. I Spy the Crimson Twins, Tomax and Zamot, pointing out... They have no official ties to Cobra Commander. Just check our backgrounds. They're flawless at the same time as being dressed in Cobra uniforms with a Cobra sigil on their chest. <laughs> <laughs> and and what, what makes you an official Cobra? Is there some sort of club card or something that, that you're given? <laughs> like a membership card, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's a bit late in the game to be saying what Cobra. Well, we've never heard on that. Oh, yeah, what's going on. They're trying to, to. We don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I couldn't get past. Sorry, Tim. I couldn't. Uh, 
just the whole the very beginning of this and i you know made comment to it in um in the plot breakdown the fact that flint is doing a book signing Mm -hmm. you know okay first page there farms and feeble booksellers i'm not sure exactly what the joke is supposed to be there barnes and noble i think well right but it what the hell is farms and feeble that that doesn't that doesn't make any sense but the whole flint doing a book signing i just uh it didn't i didn't get it at all i mean it's i'm like this is this it doesn't work for me it doesn't work at all it's funny i've been reading the chuck dixon verse idw issues and they go in completely you know very one direction about how gi joe is formed and people recruited to the extent that that people have to um be officially give dead. up their families and stuff yeah, give yeah. everything up um you know be signed off on and in official paperwork as as you know being dead and no longer existing you know top top ultra hush secret uh which is close you know close to the hammerverse as well that you know mm-hmm. joe is very you know secretive um whereas here you know <laughs> book signing tour what yeah it's i, I was not a fan of this so uh, there's this long line at this book signing and uh in in that scene where duke is comforting lady j because flint is now missing she says i knew this would happen one day going public with his identity and duke says hey colin powell is public you don't see him disappearing everything's gonna be okay um (laughs) and then in one of the letters pages the the editor mentions this that the joes are now public or at least this one or two are i i think that that is either i think that's the animus for this story right like when you go public you put yourself at risk or you put your oh. loved you put your loved ones at risk so either that's the idea but the like the story is then too much about uh the the torture and the battle and the intelligence to get this person back and we need more of a scene where Lady Jane Flint are like arguing at home on a, a yeah. day off from G.I. Joe. It's like, um, hey, honey, I wrote a book. Like, oh, yeah, how's your novel going? It's, it's great. Uh, but to publish it, I need to go public. It's like, well, let's talk to Duke. Can I go public? Like, yes, no. Um, so either it's the animus for the story, but it got lost, uh, or it is a sort of after the fact explanation it's like well how would someone know to kidnap flint oh well what if he's public like oh okay well here's a one-page scene where he should be at a book signing i don't agree with the decision to have a joe where all the joes go public it can create a lot of really great stories it doesn't work here if he's going to write a book if we're going to do this this needs to be much more about his life outside of G.I. Joe. And as a, um, as a, as a comparison, there's an episode from 1985 called Flint's Vacation, where Flint is in his uh, civilian clothes for almost the entire episode, or maybe the entire episode, right? But he does have his beret, so you know it's him, right? So he tells a couple Joes that he's gonna go see his, I think it's his cousin. And then he drives to um, Pleasant Cove, and he drives in a red convertible and he sees his, I think it's his, yeah, his cousin, Ted. And Ted is like flat. He, he's like, hello, Flint. Um, and he like recites some platitude about how he has to go to sleep early. And Flint's like, 
wait, is Cobra here Brain- brainwashing people? Uh, the episode's a lot of fun. So my eye spy is that Flint's red sports car that's being towed out of a ditch or like the side of the road when the intelligence is tracking down that he is missing. Um, I guess Flint likes hot red cars because he has a red convertible in this issue and he had a red convertible in this 1985 episode. Nice. But my my writing uh, critique is I need more of this uh, other life outside of G.I. Joe and being an author. Otherwise, it feels like too thin of an explanation for how he's discovered. Yeah. Okay. I spy a nullifier in the role of a muscle man uh, guy in, uh, in Destro's team. Uh, sort of oversized... Um, Somewhat similar in feeling to Mouton, uh, from, uh, as recently appeared in uh, G.I. Joe. A real American hero, sort of that oversized uh, sort of um, powerhouse role. And uh, I went back to look at the uh, file card to see how, how it tallies up. Um, so uh, the nullifier is the anti-gravity pod pilot, I guess. Um, so you wouldn't think, eh, was, you know, a driver, are they going to be super muscly? But... Uh, looking at the uh, at the file card, it says these AGP pilots require a six-hour weight workout every day simply to maintain their massive physique Holy cow. and high levels of endurance. Such training is necessary in order for them to command a vehicle that can reduce a normal man to a gelatinous pulp during the course of a simple turn. Nullifiers are fed solely on a diet of high-protein gruel that looks like grey mush and tastes like wet cardboard. <laughs> their muscles are always sore and their nerves are constantly on edge from the stress. Consequently, a nullifier has to be has the temperament of a rabid pit bull and more likely to bite. That great file card there from uh, from Larry, I assume. So yeah, interesting to not you know up to this point. Don't think I'd ever read that file card before, but yeah, interesting to to find out more about that character and how it ties to to how the character is portrayed. Uh, here. I was getting a little bit of a Cobra snake armor vibe mm. from that brief appearance. And Destro says, you know, nullifiers, your your armor can take those bullets. So get in there and fight. Um, I spy another two, three pages of this uh, pit diagram. Um, so at the end of one, two, three, at the end of all three of these issues, uh, facing the uh, the final page, um, the final page of each story, we have another turn it sideways, uh, green and white lines on black, sort of like computer grid diagram uh, of the new GI Joe pit. And uh, we were underwhelmed when one of these showed up in a previous episode. It was the motor pool, uh, and I. Um, Are you any more whelmed by this one? Um, now that there are more of them and I can start to, it's like, okay, well, there's a floor with the computers. Uh, that's fun. And there's a floor with a, like the weapons lab and the, like all the ammo racks. It's like, okay, I'm sort of getting the idea of the pit. Uh, and then there's the one with the weight room and the bas- the, ha- the half basketball court, uh, training facilities, uh, training and fitness. No, no, these, these don't, they, one, they don't wow me. But two, they're also not fun. The, the presentation is a little 
cold. The, I mean, part of what's so great about the original pit is it's so clearly something that couldn't exist, right? Like it is a fantasy and yet it's grounded. And that's what G.I. Joe is. And what, what these three, now four, pit level diagrams in the Devil's Do run, it looks like um, the subject of budget cuts. It's like, well, we can only have a pit that's like, 200 it's like it's only the it's only the length of two football of of one football field and it's only four levels and and you know i get it the team is smaller and previous issues have dealt with it's the length um, of three three (laughs) um about yeah the length of of three half uh, basketball courts (laughs) um so it's like no no like do this and have fun with it this seems this seems like someone's sort of thinking too hard and realistically about it it's like ah budget cuts all right only only 10 joes are here yeah i agree it's it's underwhelming i'm curious to see you know how far uh what's that show five levels so you know what's going to be in the in the in the bottom one i think this would have worked better if it was drawn you know and we talked about this during the during the last podcast how in what was it issue one and i know i think when the pit was rebuilt in 19 they both had hand-drawn ones, which and those were really nice because, you know, you were able to, the artist was able to go in there and, and put a lot more detail in. And it just looked, I mean, this looks like the way you described it when when the first level appeared with the, the cut and paste um, tanks. It's just, yeah, there's not a lot of detail. Uh, and the graphic, graphically, it's, it's underwhelming. So... It would have worked better if it was just one big illustration, I think. Um, I'm glad they're trying to flesh it out a little bit, but it needs more. It needs to be more for what it is. I, I would rather this than one more ad, and I think it's great yeah. that all, all the letters pages are two pages, and one of these issues, the letters page is three pages. So Blaylock, right, for your three bucks, you're getting a 22-page story. A bunch happens on every page. Lots of characters and locations and movement and action. Two or three letters pages. Uh, this diagram. Even though I don't love the story, it's a great value. My my final I spy was it's after the letters page in issue 17. I realized, and I had sort of forgotten this, um, the middle of 2003 was a great time to be a G.I. Joe fan because... Um, after the letters page in this first chapter, there's an ad for the company that does the lettering. There's an ad for Devil's Do's website. There are two ads for Micronauts. And then there's an ad for the first issue of G.I. Joe versus Transformers. There's an ad for the collection of the Malfunction arc. There's an ad for that month's issue of Frontline. And then there's an ad for the next issue of G.I. Joe, which has the Brereton cover. And, you know, in the last five, 10 years with IDW, most months, many months, we have three G.I. Joe comics, certainly two G.I. Joe comics uh, a month. But that also happened in 2003 when, you know, there's a main book and a spinoff and then also this Transformers crossover. And there ended up being a lot of Transformers crossovers. So uh, my iSpy is uh, just a reminder of how much I like to read the actual issue rather than uh, an online version or the collection when I go back to 
reading something like this because I want to really place myself in the time, see the ads, see the reminders. Yeah, it gives you a bigger picture. Very good. Yeah, and, the, and then particularly the ads, as, uh, the, the letters page as well, it's sort of interesting to get a sense of how people are reacting and responding to, to some of this stuff as it's, uh, as it's coming out. Quote of the week, quote of the week. I have a favorite line. It's in the third chapter, issue 19. It's the scene you referred to, Mark, where uh, Flint doubts Destro's intentions. And mm-hmm. Gung Ho says, I don't like it any more than you, but it's the way it had to be. Destro's a lot of things, but dishonest isn't one of them. Let her go. Uh, just a nice uh, encapsulation of uh the the theme of this arc right sort of you know the dishonor of torture uh, honor among thieves these bad guys who who team up mm-hmm. uh strange bedfellows you know the good guys and the bad guys teaming up uh trust and mistrust and like i said earlier any scene where destro says or demonstrates that he's he's a bad guy with a code uh which which refers back to his file card right mm. uh, i love i love and you mentioned strange bedfellows. That I think that was the name of the the issue as well, where uh, Destro and uh, Flint and Lady J team up to uh, to rescue his castle from Major Blood. So that, that's right, isn't it? Uh, I'm sure it was, and that was definitely a reference that I intended to make. <laughs> Good. I'm yeah, glad. you probably wouldn't see Gung Ho or somebody else make a similar remark about Cobra Commander. You know, or definitely not major blood. I mean, when you guys were reviewing uh, the most recent ARA where um, Baroness is kind of working against major blood, the whole theme through that issue, to me, what I got out of it was major blood is always a scumbag. I mean, he's like just, you know, and, and Duke mentioned this in issue five. He was like, of all the Cobras, he's like, I just really couldn't stand that guy. I mean, he's, you know, his... File card says mercenary, and he is always portrayed as just the, the just the biggest dirtbag mercenary that you can pick. And Destro is almost the opposite. So it's you know it's nice to see Destro get a um, a little nod here that he's not major blood kind of character. And just fact checking myself there, issue fifty seven, strange bedfellows side by side with Destro. There we go. Very good. Shall we give this one a score in our Yo Joeage? Yeah, I'll go first, so because I'm always I'm always the grump. <laughs> I give Good, this I a, don't have to go first this time. I give this a five. There's there's a lot going against it, as I have cataloged, but the the Devil's Due team is starting to find its wings. Um I, I, I've said this before, I, I, I would rather three issues with too much happening in it than, you know, like three issues worth of material stretched out to um, five or six issues. These are a great value. They're exciting. Blaylock has a lot of missteps, but he's he's trying. And on some previous arcs, I don't think I was willing to give the writing the benefit of the doubt. Here I am. And a lot of that is helped by Beddoe's good artwork that is... Not always up to the challenge of how much the script is throwing at it, but uh, it's the story is still, you know, except for a couple of these details, like the scalpel and the, the Flint and Baron is hiding behind like a potted plant and the bad guy's not seeing them. This, the story 
almost works for me. So five. Okay. I'm probably in a relatively similar place. I think I'm going to go six. Don't know that the story necessarily completely connected with me, but uh, yeah, I, I appreciated the, the the story, what the story was trying to do. It was juggling a lot of plot and a lot of characters. It was very much like a, like a big blockbuster movie at, at, at points. And yeah, there, there was a, a lot to, to like, even if there were some you know, relatively minor missteps in terms of some of that clarity, some of the characterization, but um, all in all, um, you know, a fun jaunt, I, I think. Um, yeah, and, and I think sort of generally indicative of, of the trajectory of this, of the book getting into a place where we've got a consistency in, in terms of the approach that the, that the pacing is better, the art is consistently better, the, we're seeing less obvious issues with things like um coloring and uh lettering even if uh, even if at points there are li- you know little wonks but um there we go over to you jay all right this is gonna surprise you maybe i'm going with a five mm. you know i really was high on on Bado's first efforts and that's why i gave the arc that he was on such a high rating i think i'm not sure if i might have said seven on that one or um or six five, but it, but I was very high on his art in that one, and um, this one, like I said, there's some panels where he did a really good job, but there's also just a lot of it that uh, there's not a lot of definition, you know, in a lot of the characters. Too many characters and too many panels, you know. The the plot, like we said, the plot was good, but there's a lot of scripting problems. I just did not enjoy this one nearly as much as as the last couple arcs that we reviewed. So, yeah, I'm going in. I'm going with a five. Even with Tim this time, that surprises even me. I suspect if they'd halved the cast of this issue, I would have given it. Yeah, tightened it up a little. um, I'd come in with a significantly higher score. Or if it had been four issues and not three. Yeah, I mean, they just tried to cram a lot in here. Perhaps, but then we'd have got one more issue of the same story. I want to. I want to move on to the next thing. (laughs) Uh, And that's kind of the way I was when I was reading it. I just, I, you know. it, but, that's the, that's my biggest thing is like I want this to be over. As I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, got one more issue to go through. Just didn't enjoy it that much. I, uh, I I thought differently. I thought, man, there's something here. I wish I could like sink my teeth into it. So it's like more about Flint's book, uh, more about uh, yeah. The there were things like that that should have been fleshed out more. The October Guard. Uh, mm-hmm. More about Page Sergeant Page Adams. More about um, Destro investigating these leads of how the baroness uh was kidnapped you know like when when he finds these one or two when he has these one or two informants there's this guy who's calling him and then there's someone in a chair that he's shot and i can't i can't quite tell who that is or if we're supposed to know who it is or if it's just like informant um Nothing about that's clever. It's just like sort of righteous anger like Destro's going to get the jerk who took the baroness um, but if it were him, you know, being a detective for a page uh, or two, um, I think the payoff would be better when he does rescue her. And then the sort of uh, irony that she's the one who rescues herself. She gets herself and Flint um, out of it. And there could be more clarity with, you know, like how cool and terrible and evil the, the torture um, bad guy is. So my, my vote would be one more issue and also fewer characters. But I think you could still do a, 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 like 
a lot of characters, too many characters in Force Years, just not this many. Yeah, I agree. I think, like we said, that a lot of that stuff could have been fleshed out a little more. And if it had been, it would have made for a more enjoyable read. Uh, it's interesting that you said that Destro did all this work to go in and, and rescue Baroness. And then in the end, she ended up rescuing herself. Um, earlier, we talked about Silent Interlude. And when I reread that again earlier, and this is not a new point to anyone, probably. But um, the whole thing is, you know, Scarlet gets kidnapped. She escapes. And she's out the door. I mean, basically, Snake Eyes doesn't do anything as far as her rescue. And in fact, at the end, she rescues him. And, you know, that's something I think at the time, probably, that that took people, you know, by surprise. Or, or if they noticed at all, really. Um, it's hard to tell. But that established Scarlet as, you know, she's a badass in her own right. But it also kind of made a... I don't know, I think it was really strong on Larry's part that Snake Eyes went to rescue her. She didn't really need him to rescue her, you know, uh, and, and kind of that's, you know, was echoed here in a way. But it's just an interesting point that, that made me think of when you said that. Yeah, very good. Uh, I think we're all done talking comics. So after we've done talking comics, we talk about toys. J, 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 with a toy, no fear, talking G.I. Joe collectibles. It's a favorite figure, let's pull the trigger, three and three quarter inch or bigger. J, 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 J. So what have you got for us today, J? This week I finally got in my Lady J. Have not opened it. I'm going to do that now with everybody listening. You all get to hear the crinkly, rattly package again. And I will try to send you a pic of this, Tim, as I'm, you know, once I get her out of the out of the package. Oh my goodness, she doesn't have any hair. It's it's actually the lady from Star Trek. Okay, so according to Yojo.com. Between 1985 and 2014, there were 11 different versions of Lady J. She made her first appearance in Marvel Comics' G.I. Joe Real American Hero in number 32, and her first appearance in the Sunbow cartoon in the episode titled In the Cobra's Pit, and that was part of the Pyramid of Darkness storyline. Uh, Lady J was a fairly significant player in the Marvel Comics continuity. She was involved in the assault on Springfield in issue 50, uh, the Cobra Civil War in issues 73 through 77, Tons of others. Uh, in the Sunbow cartoon, it was even revealed that Lady J, Lady J and Destro are far off distant cousins. Now, interesting, I, th I thought this was an interesting note. She was the second most featured character in the series. Uh, the only one to make more appearances was Cobra Commander. She even was in the 2013 film G.I. Joe Retaliation, played by actress Adrian Palicki. And of course, it was recently announced that a television series featuring the character is in development by Amazon Prime. Now, from Lady J's 1985 file card, uh, codename Lady J, her job description, covert operations, primary military specialty intelligence, secondary military specialty personnel clerk, I skipped her name, sorry, file name Allison R. Hart Burnett, birthplace Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, grade E4. Lady J graduated Bryn Mawr, and did her graduate work at Trinity College in Dublin, where she acquired the faint Gaelic lilt that adorns her speech. An accomplished actress and mime, as well as a studied linguist, she can easily pass as a native in France, Italy, Poland, Russian, Germany, Afghanistan, Spain, and Portugal. Airborne and Ranger qualified, 
graduate graduated intelligence school, Fort Hollabird, qualified expert M16 and reflex crossbow. A quote on the bottom of her file card says, Lady J doesn't go in for that phony wig and rubber mask brand of disguise like those jokers on Mission Impossible. She becomes the subject. Body language, subtle gesture, correct shading of dialect, the right look in the eye. Cloaked and sandaled, she can squat down with a basket of oranges in any Middle Eastern marketplace and bend in perfectly. Now, version one of Lady J uh, was released as part of the Real American toy line in 1985. It really defined the look of the character. And it's funny, despite being a, a fairly simple design, very few of the following uh, variations over the years have differed at all from that formula. Uh, the original Lady J wore green open collared short sleeve shirt with matching pants, brown backpack straps and belt, black gloves and boots. She had a black hat on with a silver circle on the front of it and short brown hair. She came with a light green backpack, a light gray power javelin, uh, which, you know, it is what it is, and a light green video camera with a strap. Now the classified figure that, that I've just taken out of the package here, it, it basically, like I said, it, you know, when, when you look at the different variations, uh, different versions of the character, it, it surprises me that there really hasn't ever been that much of a change in her look or, or her design. This one also is, is pretty much the same. She's got a green shirt on uh, with kind of an open collar, sleeves rolled up. There's some kind of patch on her left shoulder. I'm not sure what that is. It, it's blue and almost looks like a little white Christmas tree on it, but I'm sure that's not what it's supposed to be. She's got kind of, you know, darker green colored patches on the on the thighs of her pants and her boots are kind of almost almost up to her knees. Now, when I took the package or when I took the figure out of out of the package, I said, oh, my goodness, she's bald. The reason for that is because she comes with two different hair pieces. One is just hair and the other one is like hair with a, a baseball cap. Uh, I haven't pulled either of those out of the package yet. I'm just kind of looking at her without uh, without either of them. One now, somebody posted a picture of her like this on on Facebook earlier this week, and and they said something like, "You didn't tell me she didn't have any hair," and uh, without the without the the hair on, she looks really strange. It, it's it, their picture on Facebook. I said it looked like a Lego figure with the you know with the little post on the top of her head, and I'm not sure if. Uh, you know, this is the way that I would have gone about it. Oh, neat. The hair with the baseball cap on it. The baseball cap has kind of like the, um, it has like the star with the, with the little white stripes coming off from it. And that's probably what I'll use on her. Cause I do like the baseball cap look better. Get that on there. Eh, not sure that stays on real well. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's a, the good, interesting take on this character, I think is that that baseball look baseball cap look that is obviously from the v1 uh, figure but but also the the interchangeable hair which is obviously how she uh, appeared in the in the cartoon and, and probably mostly in the comics as well i always thought it was a bit strange that um she was much more known for for you know from the cartoon as, as having that kind of choppy hair look uh, versus the the way that the the figure looked yeah that, that it was you know so different She's also got um, the this new classified figure has um, got an update to her original sort of camera that was that that sort of white camera that was slung over her shoulder. It's now a kind of GoPro kind of uh, device that is connected onto her backpack. 
Yeah, I'm gonna pull that here out in just a second. I'm trying to send you guys a picture. I, I'm assuming that you will have this figure too as well, Mark. Uh, I haven't got this one, no. I don't know. I just, because uh, most of these figures are going to, to Thomas. He was less interested in, uh, in getting a, a boring old girl. <laughs> <laughs> this is his sexism, not mine, so don't judge. Oh, well, okay. Did you guys get that? I just sent it yeah. in, our, yeah, in yeah. our group chat yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, last last episode when we talked about Cover Girl, I said that they kind of, they seem to have a hard time making women's faces attractive the way that you would want them to be. I didn't like most of the photos that I saw of this figure of her, of her face. And um, it's a little better once it's out of the package, but because yeah, it, it kind of looks still not in some of the photos I've seen, it makes her look a little bit like she's kind of got this strange grin or smirk. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's not, let me send you a picture with the, with just the hair, but the figure itself, the, the sculpting, it's strange. Some, you know, one of the, the problems I had with a lot of the, um, not necessarily the original line, like if you look at Scarlet and Baroness from the original line, the like their arms and their legs were generally a little smaller than the male figures, but not a lot. But then I think once they started to do like with the 25th line and, and some of those ones, they almost made them too small. And a lot of those figures are really, really thin. Like I have a Baroness where she's in a red wetsuit and man, her legs and arms are stuff are just so small. You feel like you could just snap them in half. They're, they're just really tiny. This one is kind of like that. Like her arms are really thin compared to, you know, most of the other figures. And yeah, I'm not loving the face. I don't know. I kind of got it because, you know, it's Lady J and, uh, you know, I wanted to get the flint too, and and she'll go up on the shelf with the rest of them, but not not my favorite figure so far. And and I, you know, kind of didn't didn't think that it would be from the pictures that I saw. Her backpack though is really cool. Um, strange though, some of the choices they make with these are just I don't know why they do it this way. The backpack has a hollowed out center where you can put different attachments that she comes with inside the backpack. But it, the open part for that is what would go against her back. And you would think that like they would make it like Zartan where the backpack opens up, um, you know, from the back and you could put things in it that way rather than having to take it off from her and, and put things in. Yeah, her little camera on there. Yeah, it kind of bends. Let me get her all decked out here. And I'll send you another picture. Whoops. I've never, I've never, I never owned the original Lady J figure. And, really? Uh, correct. Um, and I have almost always forgotten that she came with a video camera. And I'm now realizing since her primary specialty is intelligence and Scoop is a combat journalist or photojournalist, um, they should go on a mission together and they should be friends because they both have video cameras. <laughs> Scoop, um, Scoop could say to uh, to Flint, your wife, sir, she uh, like uh, photography, sir. Wink, wink. I, can I just say no more? Yeah. Say no more. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. You you mentioned that um, that Lady J was was in the cartoons almost more than any other character, which um, yeah was was interesting. Wouldn't have thought that, but um, yeah, I wonder what extent um, the the character and uh, the the voicing. 
uh, from Mary, is it Mary McDonald Lewis? Um, yes, I think she, so. Uh, yeah, what kind of imprints that made on a lot of impressionable young uh, boys watching the uh, cartoons. Quite a sort of husky, uh, memorable, uh, good voicing there from... Uh, it certainly Lewis. defined the character. I mean, I think a lot of those voices in the cartoons, you know, even if you weren't a huge fan of the cartoon, you know, most most likely if you if you watch, you know, if, if you read the comic book or you liked the property at all, you were going to catch a few of those episodes. And when you were reading the comic, at least for me, it was those voices that kind mm-hmm. of informed the way that the characters sounded in your head. So, yeah, she uh, you know, she always had that voice. Cobra Commander always kind of had the whiny voice. Destro always <laughs> sounded like Destro, which I never put together as a black guy. I just thought that that was a product of him having a metal mask on his face. It's worth remembering when we think of the 10 or so most popular G.I. Joe characters, Cobra Commander, Destro, Baroness, Flint, Duke, uh, Lady J, Snake Eyes, right? That when these characters were hitting, there were fewer toy lines competing with G.I. Joe. Right. And the volume of sales of the few action figure lines that were happening at the time and popular was much higher. Similarly, when the G.I. Joe cartoon premiered, there was not as much competition, right? There was not original animation on cable TV. uh, And in terms of like weekday, original weekday animation, there was almost nothing. There's He-Man and then otherwise Saturday morning is the place to find new animation. And similarly, right, because of the TV ads and how, uh, you know, people can find the toys at like every store and some drugstores, every toy store and some drugstores, you know, the comic makes a huge splash and it's a top subscription seller for Marvel. So I think what's sort of embedded in all of our comments when we like think of Duke and like your picture of Duke is a still from the cartoon or like the action figure, or we think of lady J, and we like hear that voice or we think of this like it's an overused word but like her iconic look that hasn't been changed very much is that when these like 10 or 20 sort of most favorite gi joe characters were first released it was in such a concentration for the audience and the brand uh benefits from that uh if you were to say it pessimistically the brand coasts on that the brand relies on that 20, 30 years later, right? Like everyone mm. knows like Duke, Cover Commander, you know, Snake Eyes, Baroness. So when a character like Lady J doesn't show up in the comic, like she doesn't show up in the comic as much as I think she does. And mm. she shows up in the show a lot. But, you know, once it's 1986 and there's not a new Lady J action figure to sell, she's not in the show, which which is what the show was doing. You know, like after two years, it's like, no, 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 advertise the new toys, right? Don't put in the old toys. Mm. And there are memos to that effect, like going back and forth to the, the animation people. Um, so I feel like sometimes, and I, I, I mean this in a good way, this isn't a criticism, Duke and Lady J and these like five or 10 or 20 characters, they, they sort of expand f- their reaches further sort of in our memories and through time then maybe their reach actually was at the time you know it's like surely lady j has been in 50 issues of the marvel comic like no <laughs> no 
no, I'm just like hearing that voice and seeing her throw a really cool javelin in the cartoon mm. in, in my head. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And there was, a, there was an interesting story behind where the Lady J um, code name comes from. Right, Tim, can you remember what that is? So as a, as a preamble, uh, I was always confused what her name is and means because like, I don't actually know what, what Duke means. Like a Duke is a, uh, European, uh, military or social rank. Um, Duke but it's is John also, Wayne. It's also John Wayne. You know, Snake Eyes is like a thing. I know what that means. Like Cobra Commander is what he does. Destro is like a cool word that also ends up just being his last name. I don't know what a Lady J is. And as a kid, I think my brother and I just assumed it's like Lady Javelin because she throws Mm. javelins. Um, But to my knowledge, no story has ever explained. No story has ever explained uh, what that means. But um, in March of this year, and this is not to say this is the first time uh, that this information got out there, but the first time I noticed it uh, in March of this year, uh, reacting to that Variety article about a Lady J live action series on Amazon, uh, Larry Hama says uh, that her name is an inside reference uh, that... Uh, Joe Bacall, who was one of the two heads at Griffin Bacall, which was the advertising agency for Hasbro, and also Griffin and Bacall owned Sunbow, which was the animation company that was producing uh, the G.I. Joe cartoons. Joe Bacall's wife had a nickname, which was Lady J. Uh, And I don't know if that's spelled J or J-A-Y-E. Uh, and if I had Ron Friedman's autobiography, right? Ron Friedman is best known for writing the animated Transformers the movie. But for G.I. Joe, uh, he's best known as uh, somewhat writing the animated movie, but maybe more importantly, the first 15 episodes. And I believe that this is a character that came first from him for the show and not first uh, from Ron Rudat and the toy development team at Hasbro. One more note about the figure, and this goes back to kind of what I was saying about how the female figures sometimes are very thin, like their arms and legs are very thin. This figure is, you know, in the pictures that I sent to you guys and in pictures that other people have seen online, we'll include them in the videos too. Her arms are very small and she's, they have this thing where they, some of them are double, essentially double jointed, like in the elbows. And hers is, is like that, but her arms are so small. And sometimes these figures, uh, when you take them first out of the package, there'll be really, there are certain figures that are kind of loose, like in, in their, uh, their waists, you know, were, were kind of wobble. I think the snake eyes had, a, had an issue with that. But then there's other parts that are just so tight that like, I'm actually afraid to try to bend her arms because I feel like if I try to bend her arms too much that they're gonna they're gonna break so that's definitely um i think that's a flaw in the construction um you shouldn't ever feel like i'm gonna break this if i if i try to pose her i I hear a lot with these um six inch figures that the uh the experts in the game say um yeah pop pop them in a like a glass of um uh, right water for a little while and soften the joints up before you start manipulating them too much um, and, and that sort of helps then with uh, 
And I'm sorry, but that's bullshit. You should never <laughs> have to do that with it. I mean, seriously, you shouldn't have to do that with a new toy. When I got my my Viper, I took the goggles out of the package and tried to put those on his head, and they broke immediately. And uh, I got on, on Facebook and complained about it, and somebody was like, oh, you should have boiled it in water. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. Mm. You know, it's just that's absolutely ridiculous that, that you, you should ever have to do that or, or anybody should say that you should have to do that. Think about the little kid whose parents buys him this and he opens it up and immediately something breaks right off the bat. Oh, well, he should have bought it. He's eight. <laughs> you know, it's it just it's aggravates me. It aggravates me with this line and about fans that that say things like that. Sorry, that was inside Jay's mind right there. Inside Jay's mind. <laughs> Jay and, yes. and Mark, can you guys speak to the package artwork for the uh, classified Lady J? Hold on just a second for me. So I, I've I found the artist's name. This is... Uh, Scott Fisher, it says. Yes, this is... Oh, is it credited on the box? No, I, I found that on Hasbro's website. Okay. Yeah, I don't um, know that yeah, these things are ever on the box. No, I don't think they are. It's okay. The way that this, the way that these packages are made, there's just not a big enough area to really show the artwork. Mm. Like, you're looking at the front of the package, and I'm gonna say maybe it's one sixth of the area that you're looking at. Yeah, it's just like a um, t- sort of a tiny space on the kind of bottom. Yeah, right of so the box, you really can't. And then on the, a bit like, more you know, on the side. Yeah, when we were kids. We, you know, and and now looking back at it, we say, oh, well, the package artwork was was, uh, you know, one of the first things that caught our eye. I can't imagine that anybody is going to say that about this line. No. You know, some of the packaging artwork has been nice, but it's secondary. I mean, you've got this big window. There's the figure. The artwork is on the side, like on one side and a little bit on the front. It's nice. I mean, it's it's a good it's a good piece. It's better than some of the other ones. But yeah, it just the way that the the box is designed, it it doesn't do anything for me as far as highlighting or making that original artwork. It seems to me like if you're going to have different artists do all these different packages, you need to show it off a little bit more. And I don't feel like they do that. And again, no file card. <laughs> no. So it's always going to be a problem. It's got those sort of markers on the on the box. And yeah, you can go and on, there's on the, no key. Then you go on the website. You have to go on the website to see the key. Ugh. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously. Don't oh, even well. get me started, Mark. I'm telling you. It'll be inside Jay's mind part two. Yeah, as we as we all know, and has been established over the course of history since the introduction of uh, the, the line in, you know, nineteen eighty two that you know, generally people just didn't care about the fire cars. They didn't, they didn't add a lot to the uh, character and uh, how we, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so it's only natural they get rid of it. Mm. Okay. I mean, overall, I'm looking at her now. I've got her backpack on and one of the spears or one of the javelins in her hand. Okay, here we go. She's we've got right abilities. Uh, we've got a skeleton, a skull, which means covert ops three. Oh, are you looking at it? We've got arrows. So that's arrow weapons three. Uh, oh, I wonder if um, that Christmas tree on her arm is meant to be an arrow. Um, infiltration three, which is like a shopping cart, shopping <laughs> basket. Yeah. Mm. And then disguise four, which is like a face divided into yeah. one of which has got like glasses and a hat on, which is a disguise. There we go. 
Uh, and we've got a little biography on, on the website. A master of blending in wherever she goes, Lady J rejects common disguise techniques in favour of total assimilation. She speaks countless languages with a perfect accent and makes subtle changes to her body language and gestures to go undercover in any region around the globe and spy on Cobra operations yawn. Um, okay. Are we done with Lady Jade? Tim, did you want to say something? I wonder what percentage of people buying the classified toys keep them in the package such that this packaging is most aimed at them or beneficial to them because on a shelf or hanging from a wall, you can see the figure in its most of its full glory mm. and also the artwork and also the logo. Uh, I wouldn't say too many. I think most of what I've seen pictures online, people will have them on a shelf and they kind of put the, the boxes behind them or in, a Tupperware, have, or in a Tupperware bin below. Yeah, that's where mine are. Uh, but they'll have the boxes behind them with the numbers facing out. And that's the opposite side where there's any artwork. <laughs> so most people, I think, when they are displaying the boxes, unless they've got them turned facing forward, you're not seeing the artwork or anything. But if the figures are out of the box and they've got the boxes on the shelf, I think that most people probably are showing them with the number side facing out. And hers is number 25. I don't care. I, like I said, mine are in a big Tupperware box. I, I don't, you know, I don't have the shelf space to to put a box up there behind all the figures. Yeah, it's uh, it's having having numbers though caters for a special kind of OCD where you you have if you're lining those boxes up and you're missing a number. Yeah, and you wouldn't have otherwise got that figure. But oh, damn it, I need number twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not that that bad. Yeah. Scott Fisher makes a nice point. I don't, I'm not sure if this is his blog or reprinted from his blog, or if he's. I think he's a. I think he's guest. Yeah, he's guest posting on a website called Muddy Colors, uh, and he says uh, one glance at that packaging will tell you it was an interesting compositional challenge. Oh uh, yeah, we, we get a small image of Lady J on the front and another long vertical on the side. But here is the thing, both images had to work together as one mm. 18 by 24 poster image. Mm. So uh, Hasro is giving all these artists a very particular um, sort of layout. Yeah, like a template that this is the yeah. bit that's going to be in the front, this is going to be on the side, but we then need surrounding area, which is also going to make, um, make for a satisfying whole image when it's shown as a single image good point yeah yeah okay so that was lady j i wonder how many of our audience will be going out and snapping her up uh, on the basis of that discussion comment and let us know you know and usually i'll tell people you know whether i recommend uh, a figure or not this one just kind of depends on you know like we've talked about how how big of a completist are you you know um how big of a lady j fan are you it's not a bad looking figure, you know, once I've got her backpack on and the, and the javelin in her hand, um, the hat I put on instead of just the regular hair, she's standing there. She looks all right. She'll, you know, she'll look good on the shelf with the other ones. So I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I, I don't recommend it. Probably the only one that I would say uh, I have no interest in getting whatsoever would be the, the profit director, Destro. That one doesn't, doesn't belong on any shelf, uh, but this one's all right. You know, I, uh, I wouldn't not recommend it. Okay. Um, my my two cents are from looking at photos. I like it. The profit director Destro. No, no, no. Sorry, uh, Lady J. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. Lady Lady J. Uh, I th- Good. From, Ironically, from, from Jay, the photos. Um, 
Profit Director Destro is the only figure that my brother wanted and has got. <laughs> so, you know, different strokes for different folks. It, uh... <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, um, let's, be, let's be honest, though, though, we've been talking for a while, uh, but, but this is all just really a preamble for the, everyone's favourite bit of the show. Um, so, so let's get uh, straight to that with some innuendo. Mm. Attention. At this moment, you are now listening to a talking innuendo. If you are offended by words like sucking, flesh wound, willy, Pete, balls, crystal balls, hypno shield, whatever, take the tape out now. This is not a pop album. And by the way, Suck my grandmother's brick in a Prada handbag. So if you're in the right frame of mind, a lot of Jojo names can sound a little bit dirty. Uh, So the purpose of this segment is whether I can get through a list of five dirty sounding Jojo names without making the co-hosts titter, which includes the uh, word tit in it. Um, so, uh, if without further ado, yes, it does. you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, um, without further ado, uh, I'll, I'll think I'll get, I'll get started. Okay. I'm checking that the mics are not muted and ready to go. So green shirt Johnson. <laughs> Tim broke first. Wow. <sighs> <laughs> very good sir very good <laughs> don't like this game i can't believe it i got in there with a uh, a topical one yeah from a reference to the show hooray oh dear that means uh, <laughs> uh, i've got i can keep the rest of them on my list for next time and this uh segment continues for longer great good was, job uh, tim. tim's hope mm. uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> very good so that's uh, that's us uh, done with talking uh, talking most of the stuff this episode. Um, so next time on Talking Joe on the Disavowed Show in two weeks' time, we will be covering Devil's Due issues twenty and twenty-one, a two-parter called Closure, which features Mike Zetk on interior art for one of the issues. I'm very excited to read this. Uh, back on the regular show, we will be continuing our coverage of ARA as it comes out up to the minute. The uh, exciting new arc is Murder by Assassination, with uh, writing from Larry Hammer as normal and uh, artist Andrew Griffiths, and featuring a brand new Joe Sherlock. And uh, in between then and everything else, we'll be fitting in some specials like our sketchbook shows. You can find us in all of the usual places, talkingjoe.co.uk. That's talkingjoe, one word, .co.uk is our website, which has the links to all of the places, which include all of the different podcast platforms, the link to our Facebook page, where there's always lots of interesting discussion going on, uh, the Twitter page, the Instagram and contact details, as well as the link to Patreon. Uh, so a big thanks to all of our backers that include Richard, Sam and Jay, who are getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. Um, Jay, remind us where we can go if we want to see you drawing pictures of things. 
break room sketches on Facebook. Excellent. And Tim, I imagine uh, you probably don't have anything out there in the in the, in the internet. Um, it's you know you just come on here, do your bit, and and don't have anything <laughs> else going on outside. Is is that is that correct or? Um, if uh, if our listeners would like to experience the renovation of my comic book store, which has been uh, going since July of 2020, I have posted weekly one-minute video updates, and some of them are hilarious, whereas some of them are just informative. Uh, you can find those uh, at Instagram Hub Comics, that's H-U-B, or YouTube slash hub comics on youtube uh, there's a playlist with the first 17 ads and then another playlist with the next 15 uh, and in another week or two i think i can finally make a playlist with the next 15 ads uh, but separate from my comic book store you can read all about uh, me and gi joe at a real american book and i'll give you a tease uh, it won't be ready for uh, a few weeks but i'm starting to work on think it's going to be a three-part uh blog uh post essay about uh this is going to sound abstract a gi joe figure i found in my house mm, that is abstract uh yeah do head on interesting over, head on over to a real american book to, to see all of those wonderful posts as well as the uh, checking out the hub comics um updates so it's a, a weekly dose of joy get uh, to see what's uh, happening in the world of the uh, renovation but when all is said and done you can catch us down the road because we've been talking joe and we're all out of joes laters What's the wanker line? See you, wankers. <laughs> See you, wankers. See you, wankers. Uh, I think, I think we should make a T-shirt. Or, or Jay and I, if like the three of us are ever at a convention together, uh, we should sell prints of <laughs> Zorana uh, saying "See you, wankers" or something. I don't know. <laughs>